0: you, Sappy Music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener supported radio. You know no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry, I see other guys who use Sappy Music. I you know Bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith Tuesday, July 31st, 2012 Can you all believe that tomorrow's August? (laughs) Now some of you are listening on the podcast going Uh, dude, it's like already August To which I would say Can you believe it's already August? (laughs) I crack myself up and It's probably not even that funny Thank you for tuning in You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We stop, slow down, Open up the text, look in context, check the original languages if we need to. Yes, we ought to be doing that. Checking with what the church has said historically to see if things really match and jive there or if what we're being taught is something new. And you're going, well, is that bad? Yes, it's bad. <laughs> The faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. We should not be getting new doctrines, new ideas. We need to have faithful teaching that correctly handles the word already revealed, that does not represent new and novel approaches to the Scripture. That Bad things happen when that's occurring. Novelty is not a... Uh, um, Well, let's put it this way. When it comes to Christian doctrine, novelty is not a plus. It's a negative. Novelty is not a good thing. It's a really, 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 really bad thing. And unfortunately, here in the United States and maybe abroad and other places, we have listeners all over the world, uh, you know, you're experiencing all kinds of novelty and, and this, and you're told to. Just endure it. You're told that this isn't uh, something that's important. Stop being a hater. Stop being so picky. Stop Stop thinking. Yeah, yeah, the, by the way, that's more and more of a theme that uh, I'm catching from a lot of seeker-driven churches. Stop with this head knowledge. Stop with the thinking. Stop with the teaching stuff. Talk, stop with the depth. Get busy. Get to work. Shut up. Deeds, not creeds. Down with creeds. We just need deeds yeah this is the stuff that we're getting and which by the way historically that's a really 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 dangerous message and the reason I say that is is because historically the message of head knowledge versus heart knowledge of anti-intellectualism this irrational idea that attacks knowledge and in in information and all this kind of stuff that's that comes out of the anti-enlightenment and is a major theme and pillar of fascist ideology so something to keep in mind there. Well, in fact, I'm going to be drawing some of these uh, connections today. Gotta to tell you, today's program prep was complicated, and and the reason I say that is because the sermon I'm reviewing in hour number two. Now, I understand that there is a group of you uh, that are regular listeners to Fighting for the Faith, and when we get to hour number two, you go click and you move on to the next podcast or whatever. Totally understand that. I you listen, you know, I live through the sermon. <laughs> Reviews all the time, so if you think you got it bad. You,
1: know,
0: <laughs> you tried to do this from my end, um, but today's sermon review. If you are if you are somebody who feels that you know that the sermon reviews are you know they they grate on you because the the sermons that we review here are so bad. Um, I what I would like for you to do today is to listen to the sermon review, and it's an important sermon review. And here's the reason why: it is. The kinder and gentler version of uh, you know, of a message that you would expect to hear from Perry Noble or Stephen Furtick or guys like that who uh, had a—well, uh, <clears throat> you know how Perry Noble put it. He talks about the jack Blee that uh, in the church he always wants to go deeper. In fact, we're going to be playing that bite in, uh, in the sermon review today to kind of draw the connection. Uh, you know the the the, the Jack Bleep in the church is the one who always wants to go deeper, right? And you know, he says you're only as deep as the last person you serve. And 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 you got uh, you got Stephen Furtick berating the people in uh, at Elevation Church, basically saying, "Yeah, you just want to f- pull your fat butt up to the you know to the bar and eat and eat and eat." But Jesus says, "Shut up." Feed some uh, do something, help somebody you know all the kind of yeah it, 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 you know those messages don't fly so well for the general masses, so i've i uh, in my you know walking through you know my ser- you know sermon review preparation came across the kinder, gentler, more academic sounding version of that message, and I consider it to be the quintessentials seeker driven apologetic against. The study of the scriptures. I, I kid you not, and it, and it, and it, attempts to prove this from the Bible. Crazy stuff. I mean, obviously it's self defeating. I mean, that, you're right at the bat, you're going, Chris, are you serious that the the sermon you're going to review today, the guy's going to try to use the Bible to teach that you shouldn't really be studying the Bible deeply? Yes, it's exactly what we're going to be having on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, and, and of course, you know, I can already hear some of you going come on chris really i mean are people that so far gone that they would you know it, it's so patently obvious what's wrong yeah they they're really that far gone and uh, and the problem is is that these secret driven churches are so big um it, you know and make up such a you know a significant portion of the visible church chances are you you know somebody who attends a church that believes these same things so what we're going to do is we're going to tear this sermon down and and I mean we're going to pull this apart and I'm going to demonstrate to you that there is some super slick bible twisting and I mean some of the slickest bible teaching I have ever witnessed um you know, and and it's kind of Beth Moore slick, and you're going, huh? I listen. I haven't reviewed a lot of Beth Moore's stuff, but I got to tell you, Beth Moore is a a really really skilled Bible twister. In fact, one of the last things I reviewed of Beth Moore, you would not have detected the Bible twisting if I hadn't have pointed out to you that she skipped a verse and she went oh, and she read the passage it was from philippians i think chapter 2 or 3 no it's chapter 3 and uh, and there was a verse that she kept skipping it's if she had read it, it if she had read that verse it would have blown apart i mean like you know c4 explosive it would have blown apart the the major point of her sermon uh, of her of the thing that she was presenting but because she kept skipping it she was able to continue to make the point that she was making, and I pointed out, you, know, you just I just read it. It's like read this. It's right here. And when you read it, it's like boom. It's it totally destroys the point that she's making. The, that's some skilled Bible twisting." And uh, Beth Moore, I think she tries harder than the you know than the average seeker-driven pastor to hide the fact that she's do, she's twisting the Bible. But who Nellie? I mean, that woman makes me work. The, this sermon was that kind of work. I mean, it, it's like, I'm looking at my notes on this. I, I've got at least five full pages of notes on this sermon that uh, I, I'm thinking, we might want to start this one um, early <laughs> because of what we're doing. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Now, do you all know what a bromance is? Yeah, <laughs> this is one of those terms. It yeah, a, a bromance, you know, is like... When a dude is like glowing and gushing and ooing and aahing over another dude, but it's not in the, the you know, the, it's not about homosexuality. You know, they they just call it a bromance. It's like a dude who like totally respects and like is fawning over another dude because he's like thinking that he's the dude. So they call it a bromance. Now, to, <laughs> so I, yeah, as so I was kicking around, you know, different names for this segment, um... I was seriously at first, in fact, the early drafts of the program, when you, you look at my notes, um, I had called this segment Stephen Furtick's budding bromance with Rod Parsley, but then I realized, yeah, that doesn't quite hit it. And uh, y'all know who Rod Parsley is. If you don't, who you, boy, you're you're going to be in for a rude. Way. He is one of the worst of the worst of the worst on uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. In fact, he is only topped in heresy uh, and in like Word of Faith. chicanery. He's only topped by T.D. Jakes. I mean, it's just that bad. Uh, But uh, Rod Parsley uh, recently made a surprise visit to well, um, Stephen Furtick's um, Elevation Church and no kidding, Stephen Furtick sent out a a twit pic, uh an Instagram picture on his uh, Twitter stream, and Rod Parsley. You know he he did too. And so you know, I was considering calling this the uh, Stephen Furtick's budding bromance with Rod Parsley. And then I, you know, I just I thought, you know, wait a second here. You know, bromance doesn't quite get get it. And so uh, keep in mind, he, here's the idea. Okay, I mean, the obvious question is, why would Stephen Furtick be hanging with, promoting, yucking it up with? and saying, he's my best buddy, he's a great preacher, I'll show, you know with somebody who's just one of the worst of the worst of the worst uh, TBN televangelists. Well, there, there's a reason why. And here's this, it's simple, uh, well, if you would, a species. It's, it's, it's species genetics kind of thing. Okay, listen, all right, Sheeps, sheep and wolves, they can't procreate. Okay, so wolves don't really like hanging with sheep. OK, this makes perfect sense. Right. So wolves, they hang with wolves. So I I, I renamed the the segment. I called it uh, Stephen Furtick's Budding Wolf Mance with <laughs> Rod Parsley. And believe me when I tell you, I'm going to have to play the warning uh, for the uh, our fighting, our standard warning for fighting for the faith when we get to the segment. And, you know, so just, you know, keep in mind what you're going to hear is. Oh, yeah, it's pretty wicked and crazy. So we, we got that that we need to talk about here. I've got a Al Mohler uh, op-ed piece that was uh, run at the CNN website, and it's entitled My Take, Chick-fil-A, a controversy, uh, The Chick-fil-A Controversy Reveals Religious Liberty Under Threat. And this, yeah, this is one of those, another like really brilliant op-ed pieces by Albert that and. and Folks, the whole Chick Fil A thing, the way this is coming out, it's very clear that despite what our Constitution says, that there are political officials, uh, elected political officials, who are going to deny, deny Christians rights that they constitutionally have because they're on the wrong side of the debate regarding homosexuals. And Al Muller has done a good job of fleshing that out. So we got the Stephen Furtick piece, uh, the Rob Parsley. I've kind of got a, a a strange Mark Driscoll tie into this. And uh, we got the Albert Muller piece, and then we got our sermon review today. So yeah, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but believe me when I tell you, it's going to take pretty much the whole program and more to, uh, to really get all this stuff done correctly. So with that, let me uh, go ahead and play our warning, and then we'll dive into our uh, update, our Stephen Furtick update. Here we go. you be their mentor and you're so vain You probably think the Bible's about you, you're so vain
1: I bet you think the Bible's about you, don't you, don't you
0: vain you probably think the bible's about you you're so vain i bet you think the bible's about you don't you don't you yeah all right yeah <laughs> that's our stephen furtick update tech a rendition a new rendition of carly simon's uh, song you're so vain Yeah, you probably think the Bible's about you. So, all right, um, this is uh, thanks to the super sleuthing work of uh, Ken Silva over at Apprising Ministries. You can find this at org. Headline reads, Prophet leader Stephen Furtick descends down to word-faith heretic Rod Parsley. And, yeah, kid you not, um, we got a Stephen Furtick tweet that was sent out over the weekend. And um, here's what the the tweet says. says. Surprise visit from real Rod Parsley this morning. Uh, A preaching machine and a wonderful man, Uh, Rod Parsley. A preaching machine and a wonderful uh, man. And there's an Instagram pic where you can download the photographic moment where Rod Parsley and Stephen Furtick, you know, have their arms interlocked with each other because you know Rod Parsley. Apparently, I mean, he's a preaching machine. Well, we're gonna take a look at his preaching machinism. Shortly here, but um, and so you know, half an hour later, Rod Parsley responded and he said, I had an incredible time with one of the nation's most influential young leaders, Stephen Furtick. And he sent out an Instagram pic, yes, you know, different angle, same shot with them, you know, got their arms around each other. So, you know, I basically liken this to well, a budding wolf man's, um, between Stephen Furtick and Rod Parsley. Okay, now. I told you ever so briefly just a minute ago that I was going to have a strange Mark Driscoll um you know tie into this okay and so let me let me bring the Mark Driscoll piece into this and uh, there's a reason why I'm doing that but here listen in here's Mark Driscoll explaining his ministry philosophy as to who he can work with he has a a metaphor that he uses and it's kind of national borders versus international borders here's Mark Driscoll to explain who he can work with in ministry or partner with. Let's listen
2: to it. I use the language of national and state borders or boundaries. I can work with anybody in the state borders, but I can't partner with anyone who's crossed a national border.
0: Okay. So, so that's the idea. He, he can't partner with somebody who's crossed a national border. So here's my question. Would um, Mark Driscoll, who is, very close with Stephen Furtick, consider Rod Parsley somebody who's crossed an international border, Christianity-wise, so where he's like outside of you know Christianity. Or, or should we expect Stephen Furtick, Mark Driscoll, and uh, James McDonald at Elephant Room 3 to invite Rod Parsley so that we they can let everybody know how Rod Parsley is a great preaching machine and a wonderful man of God and somebody that you should be listening to. Now, the reason I asked these types of questions and I kind of pulled that in there is because I'm familiar with Rob Parsley's teaching. You know, years ago I had known a little bit more about him, but it wasn't didn't take long to kind of re you go back and go, Yeah, I remember that this guy's a major word of faith heretic. So I spent some time on Rob Parsley's website and, you know, found some things that are well kind of interesting. Now the other question I need to ask is do you think the Apostle Paul would say Rod Parsley is a preaching machine, and that he's a guy who, well, we may not share the same state borders, but he hasn't crossed any international borders. Do you think the Apostle Paul would consider Rod Parsley a a, a fellow believer in Jesus Christ? The reason I ask this is, okay, over at the Rod Parsley website, <laughs> there's a webpage here that says, prayer cloth power, receive your miracle now. This is, you know, with a photograph of Rod Parsley, here's what it says, do you need a miracle How about a supernatural breakthrough? Are you praying for healing, deliverance, financial abundance? Look no further, wait no longer. Today is your day to tap into the breakthrough power. Request your prayer cloth now. The anointing is tangible and it's transferable. In Acts, God wrought special miracles by Paul through use of handkerchiefs. These cloths acted not only as a point of contact by which faith was released, but also a conduit of the breakthrough anointing on Paul's life. Um. So whatever you need, whatever you desire from God, all it takes to receive is a single act of faith. Request your very own anointed prayer cloth today. And when you request your prayer prayer cloth, please, please consider giving your best love gift to help Pastor Parsley continue to minister to the lost and hurting around the world through the Breakthrough Television broadcast and Bridge of Hope Outreach, so you know, make sure you you send your best love gift in order to receive your anointed prayer cloth. Well, okay, well that led me to uh, you know do a little hunting around to see if you know maybe that Rod Parsley has done any more with these miracle healing cloths, so to speak. And did you know that just I mean, less than two years ago, Rod Parsley had an entire television program entitled the Miracle Healing and Victory Prayer Cloth Service. Yeah, listen in.
3: Welcome to this great worldwide miracle, healing, and victory prayer cloth service with
0: Pastor Rod Parsley and the supernatural power of 10 that's about to be released for your miracles. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's the first opening 20 seconds to this mi- miracle, healing, and victory prayer cloth service. And release the power of 10. Listen to the star-studded cast of heretics that um, that were all you know you know in agreement with this miracle healing and victory prayer cloth service listen buddy
4: is about to realize Jesus Christ that's rod parsley is the same yesterday today and forever if he ever healed anybody he'll heal you tonight
5: this supernaturally significant year of 2010 is your perfect time for god to complete your victory and perfect
4: your miracle nothing missing nothing broken I set myself in agreement with you, spirit, soul, and body, family, finances, and future.
5: Tonight, millions from around the world will agree in prayer, and the anointing will be multiplied as ten great generals of the faith release their faith for your miracle, including Kenneth Copeland. There's no time to distance in the spirit.
0: You be healed right now. So Ken Copeland, word of faith, heretic. Jesse Duplantis. Jesse Duplantis, arch, word of faith, heretic. I believe that the anointing of God can be transferred. And I believe it will be transferred on that
4: prayer cloth when we pray and believe God for you.
0: Yeah, so they're going to transfer the anointing to the prayer cloth and pray for you. I mean, Jesse Duplantis is obviously, you know... There to help receive the financial contributions for this miracle, healing, and victory prayer cloth. Harry Stone.
2: God will move on your behalf because of your faith.
5: Marilyn Hickey.
2: And we believe God for healing and miracles for you.
5: Morris Cirillo. Multitudes of people are going to receive miracles and healings.
4: Guillermo Maldonado.
5: We're going to be anointing this handkerchief. We'll send it to you, and you will be restored, healed, and delivered. Darlene Bishop. Whatever you need in your life today that God is going to see that it is completed. T.L. Lowry. Be
0: made whole. That's quite a start-setting cast. Yes. Well, that's a, um, that's a full-blown Word of Faith wolf pack. Don't, don't you think? Oh, by the power of of the living God.
5: Now,
3: from Calvary Christian Center in Ormond Beach, Florida, with Pastor Jim Raley, welcome
0: to the Supernatural Power of Ten, miracle, healing, and victory prayer Clause service. By the way, this is not a Max Holiday sketch. This is the real thing.
5: Welcome to Calvary Christian Center here in Ormond Beach, Florida. We are so glad to have Pastor Rod Parsley and the Breakthrough Team here for a Miracle Signs and Wonders Night. God is doing incredible things. We're so glad to host this event for Pastor Parsley. It's a night of healing. It's a night of victory. It's a night of power. It's a night of breakthrough. We want to thank Marcus and Joan and Lamb. We're so excited to be on Daystar and we want to welcome the whole family here tonight. Listen, if you want to have a prayer cloth, it's not too late. You can call the number on the screen. You can go to our website. We want to agree with you. God spoke to me, that tonight is a night of miracles.
0: Oh, so God spoke to him, yeah.
5: Tonight, God is releasing the uncommon anointing, and he's releasing it in your house. He's releasing it across America. It's time for the unexplainable. It's time for the unbelievable. It's time for the supernatural. And I want you to get in this anointing that's in this house, because this anointing in this house is coming to your
0: house. Let's go. I hope not. (laughs) That anointing comes to my house, I'm going to have to catch Cast it out and you know put salt on the windows and maybe crucifixes on my door.
5: Now for this live service, Pastor Parsley's gonna pray with us and miracles are manifesting tonight.
0: Uh huh. Now does, does this sound like sound biblical doctrine to you all? Does this sound anything like sound biblical doctrine to me? Yeah, well, let me fast forward and you know, maybe we'll we'll catch some of the preaching of Rod Parsley. To, you know, maybe I'm just not hearing him right. I mean, I'm sure this is all biblical and just completely right within, you know, the international borders of Christianity. It's it's just a state border issue, right? would Be somebody pretending to speak in tongues, that's not actually the biblical gift itself.
4: Brain tumors, I rebuke and adjure you by the Spirit of God.
0: Oh, this is one of those snake oil salesman miracle shows, yeah, like Todd Bentley does.
4: I rebuke every cancer cell. Look at me, look at me. They just did 15 biopsies on this six-foot-two frame. And I said, if I go down, I'm going to go down praising. Shout! No, you need to lose control. You need to
0: lose control. So he's yelling at everybody that they, you know, they need to not be so stiff. They need to lose control. Shout and scream and yell, and there's people literally just you know You know, it reminds me I'm looking for the golden calf in the in the audience, because it kind of looks like that, you know?
4: You need to forget who you are and where you are, where you came from.
0: Yeah, just forget you. turn your brain off. You gotta stop thinking here, you know? Just l- f- feel the emotion of the moment.
4: And take the next 15 seconds and praise him in a way you've never put... Pr-
0: Just a reminder, this is all part of the Miracle Healing and Victory Prayer Cloth Service. You want cancer to go? Shout now! Yeah! Yeah!
4: Yeah! 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 They did 15 biopsies. I had to wait two weeks.
0: Why didn't you just blow your nose into a hanky and skip the biopsies? I mean, that that you that, I'm sure would have anointed them. Waiting is a down payment
4: on faith. Waiting is proof of trust. Somebody shout, I'm going to stand right here till I get it. It may be in five minutes, it may be in an hour. I'm going to stand till I get it. Touch my hand. I waited. Before I got up here, God healed breast cancer. No, see how? Either you don't believe me, because if you really believed me, and I just told you that God Almighty healed breast cancer, and all you can do is go. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're supposed to lose control here because you know he has announced that God has healed breast cancer. He's Stop being so wimpy and intellectual. Just turn your brain off and just, just let yourself go. And praise God because Rod Parsley, the prophet here, has announced that God just healed breast cancer. Why aren't you going crazy? Come on. Oh, there it is. I see the golden calf. It's right there.
4: Somebody needs to lose it up in here.
0: about three rows back on the left-hand side.
4: I'm telling you right now, you need to go to your phone and you need to go online. Over 300,000 people, 300,000 people have said, Pastor Rob, when you get to Calvary, under that anointing, I'm believing for the greatest miracle of my life, all I want
0: is for some- now, you can't see this, but in the middle of the stage, there is a stack of boxes. And I'm assuming that this, the boxes are full of these miracle healing and victory prayer cloths. He's going to anoint them and then send them out to people who send in their best love offering.
4: i here tonight to act like God is still a...
0: He now has a victory, a miracle vic- healing and victory prayer cloth in his hands. The people are going crazy. Somebody spin! Somebody run! Somebody wave! Yeah, see, there's the golden calf. It's right there. I, it's, again, third row about, you know. Shall go! Go!
4: It's going right now. Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's going. Los Angeles, California. It's going. I got a word for you.
0: Oh, yeah, this guy's a preaching machine, all right. It's too bad he's not preaching anything that's biblical. Your adversary tonight is about to encounter a God. Now what you can't see on the screen Call now, log in and we'll rush you An anointed prayer cloth Just contact us at this phone number And we will send you an anointed Miracle healing and victory prayer cloth Now, quick Claim your miracle These, These are what's rolling across the bottom of the screen Cannot contend I'm surprised he's not yelling. Show me the money! I'll give you a minute to catch up.
4: The surgeon said, Pastor, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, go ahead and tell me. There are thousands of people right now who are bound by lying symptoms. You have symptoms, but they're lying. You have heart
0: symptoms, but it's a lie. You have cancer symptoms, but it's a lie. You have my... How long do you think it'll be before uh, Stephen Ferg does a service like this, huh?
4: Brain headache symptoms, but it's a lie. You have arthritic symptoms, but it's a lie. You have fibromyalgia symptoms, but it's a lie. You have fibroid tumor symptoms, but it's a lie.
0: Yeah, you have a stage inside of a church, but what you're preaching is a lie.
4: I dare you to thank God right now that the thief has
0: been found. Yeah, preaching machine, all right.
4: Come here to me. You, come here to me. You, come here to me. me.
0: Alright, so he's calling out somebody in the audience. Shout, shout, shout! Alright, this guy's coming forward. Anything I say to them He's now on the stage being escorted into the presence, rushed into the presence of Rod Parsley. You
4: can make yours! Anything I say to them, you can make yours! Anything I say to them, you can make yours.
0: Is your God a creator? Yes. He's a creator. He makes. Now there's somebody right behind him to catch him. How much you want to bet this guy's going to be on the floor in less than 30 seconds?
4: Something out of nothing. Yes. He doesn't need anything to start with. Yes. Lift your hands. Say the word millions. Millions. Say it again. Million. Say it again. Million. Say it again. Million. God's making 100 millionaires tonight all over America.
0: Wow. Wow. This is better than, you know, any raffle ticket thing that I've ever remembered. Like, you know, the the Cub Scout meetings. I mean, God's going to make 100 millionaires tonight. Wow. God's going to give you an
4: entrepreneurial spirit. Step out in faith and move. Fear
0: paralyzes. Yeah, there you go. So, um... Yeah, that was from Rod Parsley's Miracle Healing and Victory Prayer Cloth service. Uh keep in mind, the uh, the prophet, Fuhrer, uh, Stephen Furtick, over the weekend sent out a photograph of him and Rod Parsley. Stephen Furtick saying, surprise visit from Rod Parsley this morning, a preaching machine and a wonderful man. So do you think somebody who's, like, fleecing uh, millions from people by, you know, these false signs and wonder miracle shows... You know how how did De Bono put it? From you two stealing money from the sick and the old, how does that make somebody a an incredible man? I, I think that would make somebody like less than incredible. In fact, the quite opposite. You know, an incredible charlatan, an incredible heretic, an incredible. Um, evil person, but not an incredible man. But Stephen Furtick, you know, a preaching machine so says that he's a preaching machine. Now, coming back to my question from earlier, you know, let me let me rewind the uh, the audio on this uh, piece. You know, again, this is uh, Mark Driscoll talking about you know how you know he he can partner with anybody who hasn't crossed an international boundary, but. And you know, as long as they're, you know, they they have state boundaries, listen again. I use
2: the language of national and state borders or boundaries. I can work with anybody in the state borders, but I can't partner with anyone who's crossed a national border.
0: Yeah. Okay. So so here's the question. I mean, that's all great. And you know, Stephen Furtick and Mark Driscoll those those guys are buds. They're like they're tight. You know, they're 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 really close. I mean, Mark Driscoll recently preached for uh, you know for Stephen at Elevation Church. So the question I have is, do you think that um, somebody who is putting on those kind of false miracle healing shows, who teaches the word of faith heresy, sends out miracle healing and victory prayer hankies, you know, complete with their anointing, you know for their best love gift, do you think you know I mean claiming right there that God was making a hundred millionaires that night? Wow, I mean it's awful nice of God, uh, and that he was going to give that that guy you know a, a a spirit of you know an entrepreneurial spirit? Do, do you think that crosses an international border or just a state border that you know we we need to shut up and stop complaining about Rod Parsley because he's a brother in Christ. Using uh, Mark Driscoll's you know idea here, you know, state border, international border, and and do you think the Apostle Paul would agree? Because I I say that because um, yeah, I've got Titus chapter one open here in my uh, computerized Bible, uh, starting at verse ten. There, um, well, actually, back it up, back it up, back it up. All right, um, verse six. If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or sub- subordination. For an overseer as God's steward, must. Be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers. And deceivers. Did you hear any substantive words coming out of Rod Parsley's mouth from that victory, miracle, healing, prayer, hanky service? Those were all empty words. They're deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought to. Not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Thus says God the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul They are they profess to know God but they deny him by their works I think Rod Parsley is one of these guys He's crossed an international border he's a word of faith heretic teaching for shameful gain things he ought not to teach and scripture des- describes him as detestable disobedient and unfit for any good work. And yet, I mean, Stephen Furtick, you know, the the new and improved latest leader of the seeker-driven movement, a rock star among seeker-driven churches, says that Rod Parsley is a preaching machine and a wonderful man. Yet scripture describes him as disobedient and detestable. So, I mean, you know, you know what should we do about this? Um, well, do you think that um, Mark Driscoll will be calling Stephen Furtick on the phone saying, "Dude, come on, Rod Parsley's dis- detestable and disobedient"? Probably not. Why? Because well, Mark Driscoll was one of the key um, perpetrators of the crime that occurred at Elephant Room Two, where T.D. Jakes was glad, basically, given the right hand of fellowship by James McDonald and. Uh, and Mark Driscoll. Um, and basically we're told that we gotta be quiet and shut up and stop complaining. I mean, T.D. Jakes hasn't crossed an international border. So, yeah, I mean, my question is, will James McDonald invite Furtick and Rod Parsley to Elephant Room Three? And will they extend the right hand of fellowship to him and, and have Mark Driscoll explain to us how Rod Parsley hasn't crossed an international border? but only you know a state border, and that, that he can partner with him and that you need to stop complaining and being a hater and things like that. Yet the scriptures def- describe those who teach for shameful gain what they ought not to teach as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. And they need to be rebuked and rebuked sharply. So who are you going to believe? Stephen Furtick, Mark Driscoll, or the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I know where my money's going on You know that one. I can tell you who I'm going to say is probably teaching the truth. And it ain't Driscoll, and it ain't Furtick. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. We'll be right back.
3: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you are in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: You're listening to
4: Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
2: presents Church Day Select.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of audacious bible time i'm your host stanley andy today we're going to be reading from matthew chapter 3 verse 7 from the furtick audaciously revised translation of the bible here's what it says but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to his baptism he said to them you brood of bloggers who warned you to flee from your mother's basement Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy.
0: you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga.
1: Cowabunga.
0: All right, we're back. Warning, somebody who is an empty talker who's teaching for shameful gain, things he ought not to teach, is not a brother in Christ or a pastor you should listen to. He's a wolf you should throw out from your midst and warn your people about. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our famous two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the... The donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to post office box 508 Fishers Indiana zip code 4 Six zero three eight. Thank you for your support, and also keep in mind we're in the middle of our summer bake sale to help us get through the lean, mean, financially thin summer months. And the way you uh, you know participate in the bake sale is visit our website piratechristianradio.com dot com forward slash bake sale, and there you can pick up a copy of your T shirt. They are going uh, they're going quick. Gotta tell you that, folks. I you pick up your, the T shirts that you would like to get, or if you'd like to uh, purchase the bracelet that my mother in law made to help us get through the uh, the summer months. That you could click on the link there. And again, thank you for your support, those of you who are supporting us. We can't do what we do without what you're doing to support us financially. Okay, moving along here. From the CNN website, the headline reads, My Take, Chick-fil-A, A, Con- A Controversy Reveals Religious Liberty Under Threat by Dr. Albert Muller. Now, I got to give you a little bit of a warning here. I went really long on the first segment, so this is going to be the only piece during the second segment. And after this, we'll go, we'll take a break and go into our sermon review. If the the, the commercial breaks seem a little tight, you know, close together today, well, they are. So <laughs> it's not it's not your imagination. It's they are because I went really long on that first segment. Dr. Mueller writes. He says uh, cultural upheavals often occur in the most surprising context. Who expected the clash between sexuality and religious liberty would be focused on a restaurant company mainly known for its chicken sandwiches? (laughs) That's a great question. And yet the controversy over Chick-fil-A is a clear sign that religious liberty is at risk and that this nation has reached the brink of tyrannical intolerance from at least some of our elected leaders. Let me read that again. It it is a clear sign that religious liberty is at risk, and this nation has reached the brink of tyrannical intolerance from at least some of our elected leaders. This controversy uh, was ignited when uh, Chick-fil-A president Dan Cathy, uh, son of the company's legendary founder, Truett Cathy, told a Baptist newspaper that he and his company, quote, operate on biblical principles and are... Quote, very much supportive of the family, the biblical definition of the family unit. Defining Chick-fil-A as a family business, Kathy went on to say that, quote, we intend to stay the course. We know that it might not be popular with everyone, but thank the Lord we live in a country where we can share our values and operate on biblical principles. Media attention to Kathy's comment revealed a radio interview that he had given a few weeks earlier in which he commented that, quote, I think we are inviting God's judgment on our nation when we shake our fist at God and say we know better than you what constitutes a marriage. Quote, I pray God's mercy on our generation. That has such a prideful, arrogant attitude to think that we would have the audacity to redefine what marriage is all about, he said. Within days, elected officials in Chicago, Boston, and New York were pledging to deny the company access to their cities. Because of, quote, Dan Cathy's ignorance, I will deny Chick-fil-A a a permit to open a restaurant in my ward, Chicago Alderman Proco Moreno said in a threat echoed by Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Folks, the Constitution guarantees our right to freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and these elected officials are saying, "Uh uh-uh, you can't have that anymore. They don't have any constitutional right to do so. Anyway, Boston Mayor Thomas Menino uh, was just as blunt. Quote, Chick-fil-A doesn't belong in Boston, he said. We're an open city. We're a city at the forefront of inclusion. Which is an ironic statement, by the way. Uh, New York City Council Speaker Christine Quinn, who just recently married a, her lesbian partner, called upon New York University to kick chick-fil-a off its campus echoing the boston mayor's lack of irony she also called for exclusion in the name of inclusion quote we are a city that believes our diversity is our greatest strength and we will fight anything and anyone that runs counter to that notice the irony here we are inclusive but we're going to exclude anybody who doesn't we doesn't agree with our inclusion Within days, Moreno, Emmanuel, and Menino had qualified their statements somewhat, promising to operate within the law, within the law and constitutional limits. Oh, that's awful nice of them, don't you think? I'm so glad that they agreed. It was so kind of them to agree to operate within constitutional limits. I'm so happy that our. Elected officials can kind of turn that on or off at will. Anyway, <clears throat> those clarifications became necessary when legal authorities quickly recognized threatened violations of First Amendment rights. To his credit, New York May- Mayor Michael Bloomberg, an ardent supporter of same-sex marriage, warned, you can't have a test for what the owner's personal views are before you decide to give a permit to do something in, a c- in the city. Note carefully that Chick-fil-A was not charged with discrimination in hiring, or service, but simply with the fact that its president and chief operating officer supports traditional marriage. Note something else. Dan Cathy's statements were explicitly religious. He made his comment in the religious press, including a Baptist newspaper. His comments were infused with his Christian convictions, the same convictions that have led the company to close for business every Sunday. The threats made against Chick fil A betray the principle of religious liberty that is enshrined within the United the U.S. Constitution. Civic officials in some of the nation's largest and most powerful cities have often openly threatened to oppose Chick fil A for the singular reason that its president openly spoke of his Christian convictions concerning marriage. Folks, persecution of Christians is not coming, it's here. It's not. Coming down the road, it's right here in front of you. Quote, sorry, next, when Quinn, one of the most powerful officials in New York, announces, quote, I don't want establishments in my city that hold such discriminatory views, is she also threatening Roman Catholic Church Orthodox Jewish synagogues and Islamic mosques? How about Roman Catholic hospitals, Hmm. They, along with evangelical Christian denominations, openly oppose the legalization of same-sex marriage. By the way, I don't see these folks shutting down gas stations, and the reason I bring this up is, have you all noticed that, well, a large portion of our oil comes from OPEC nations whose governments are Islamic or under Sharia law, and Sharia law calls not just it doesn't say that we uphold traditional marriage. Sharia law calls for the execution of homosexuals. Are they going to close down gas stations too? Anyway, that Albert Muller didn't put that in. I did. Anyway. <sighs> anyway, now when Emmanuel and Moreno tell Chick-fil-A to stay out of Chicago, they... They are they audacious enough to deliver the same message to the churches, mosques and synagogues of their city that also oppose same-sex ma- same-sex marriage. What do they do with the fact that their own state does not allow same-sex marriages? This country is deeply divided over the issue of same-sex marriage, and the controversy over Chick-fil-A is an ominous sign that many of the proponents of same-sex ma- same-sex marriage are quite willing to violate religious liberty and to use any and all means to silence, punish any individual or organization that holds the contrary view, a view sustained by the voters in 29 states by constitutional amendments addressing the intersection of same-sex marriage with religious liberties, George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley has warned that the government must not be, quote, viewed as unfairly trying to predetermine the debate or harass one side. That is exactly what some elected officials have just shown themselves ready to do. It will not stop with Chick-fil-A. Who will be next to be told to get out of town? Yeah, folks, um, like I said, persecution of Christians isn't coming. It's already here. And elected officials are more than willing to not pay attention to the fact that the Constitution guarantees your individual right to... Freedom of religion and freedom of of speech. Go ahead, practice your religion, practice your freedom of speech, and we will take away your livelihood and vilify you, is what they're basically saying they're going to do. Again, persecution ain't coming. It's already here. You need to know that. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback@fightingforthefaith.com. or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. When we come back, a sermon review. I don't want you to miss this one. Critical sermon that demonstrates the seeker-driven hatred of knowledge. We'll be right back.
2: Listening to Pirate Christian Radio from the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lacks comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century, Max Holiday's Bird Cage Theater of the Budgie Cuts. Part two. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. (coughs) You'll laugh. (laughs) You'll scream. And you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Just stick to the script, please. So sorry, um Buy it now while stocks last. They download it. There is no supply of which to run out. Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now. If they want to, yes. Oh. Well the heck with this commercial, I'm up to buy it right now. Max Holidays, Birdcage to the Buddy Cuts Part 2. Disapproved of by heretics everywhere.
0: Get it before they do. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. An important sermon we're going to be reviewing here. Not a good one, though. Get out your Bible. You're going to need it. Pen and in paper. You'll probably need that, too. Have you ever heard a biblical teaching on why you shouldn't focus on deep biblical knowledge? Sounds self-refuting, doesn't it? Well, it is. But wait till you hear this thing unfold. Bad, the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Northridge Church in Plymouth, Michigan. The uh, gentleman delivering the sermon, his name is Tim Elmore. The name of the sermon is entitled, Unforgettable and the name of the sermon is called change it's the unforgettable is the name of the sermon series the name of the sermon itself is called change this is a full-blown attempt at a biblical teaching to tell you you don't need biblical depth deeds not creeds is kinda the undercurrent of this thing and boy does this guy twist the scripture in a slick way Maybe work harder than I will I like to work on a sermon review gotta tell you that I mean I mean just on its surface think about it somebody giving me a biblical teaching telling me that I don't need biblical depth yeah, listen carefully to his presuppositions they're actually pretty evident sometimes it's a little hard to pick those out, but uh, I'll point them out along the way so well here we go without any further ado. Here's Tim Elmore and his you know, sermon entitled Unforgettable Change. Here we go.
3: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Good to see you all. I miss you when I'm not with you. It's always great to be with you. Can I just stand here and look at your faces for a minute? Would that be all right? Um, we are beginning a series, and I'm going to get to kick it off today, and I'm going to talk to you about a topic. It's about change, but I am going to talk to you about a topic that I feel like the best way to, um, to entitle it is to call it artificial maturity. It's a picture, doesn't it? Over 150 years ago, something happened in America that you all heard about. It was January 1848 when James Wilson Marshall was strolling out next to a sawmill in Southern California. He went down to the stream just next to the sawmill and he noticed something glistening in the water it was gold he wasn't sure it was gold at first but it glistened and it looked like it might be so he dug it up and washed away the sand and took it in and tested it out and sure enough it was gold and it was at that point when word got out the california gold rush was on remember reading about this in your history books tens and tens of thousands of people went out west to strike it rich some rich overnight but you know the part of the story that you never hear people talking about don't you most of them found nothing. Or perhaps even worse, many of the people found something that they thought was real, and it wasn't real. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It was called fool's gold. Fool's gold looked like the real thing. It glistened like gold. It even felt like gold. But when they picked it up and strung through the sand and finally tested it out, it was worthless. It just looked like the real deal. And I'm suggesting... Today, that we live in an age right now where it's easy to make artificial anything, fools anything. Think about it with me. There's artificial sweeteners, right? In case you don't want sugar, you can have something that tastes like sugar, but it's not really sugar. There's artificial turf, artificial grass. Ladies, artificial fingernails, right? Hmm? Artificial flavorings. There's even artificial money. We call it counterfeit money. It's really worthless, but it looks like the real deal. And by the way, with artificial money, counterfeit money, have you ever noticed, you don't counterfeit a $1 bill, you counterfeit a $100 bill. You counterfeit what's most valuable. Keep that in files for later. We live in a day, as I just mentioned, where you can make a generic brand, if you will, of almost anything valuable. And I'm saying maturation, real authentic maturity, maturity is so valuable, yet so rare, because the artificial thing is everywhere today. Can I just give you a couple of pictures that will get you on board really fast right now? Um, Let's start with kids. We won't end with kids. We're going to end with us, but let's start with kids. We live in a day where you might know a family and they've got an eight-year-old son or daughter, and that eight-year-old knows all of his math tables. He can download the latest software on his computer and all the adults around him go, my, 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 my. What a mature little boy. Maybe, maybe not. That same kid at 16 years old might not be able to look an adult in the eye and have a conversation. Do you know these people? Teenagers? Okay. So there was one category that was really advanced, but the others, not so much. It was artificial. It looked like maturity, but it really wasn't. And then there's adults.
0: notice something here. He's not starting with a biblical text. Okay, I got this, just by way of pointing this out. this is based upon human reasoning and philosophy, not biblical teaching. He's going to go backwards to try to prove his points from Scripture, but he's not starting in Scripture. He's starting with his own research. His own experiences. It sounds reasonable enough, though, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness gracious. You know them, don't you?
3: They can be well read. They can be well educated with master's degrees and PhDs, well networked. But then when it comes to the fundamentals that make life work, basic life skills, they're missing. They can't keep a family together, a marriage together, their life together. In other words, it's high IQ, but low EQ, which is a greater predictor of success in life.
0: By the way, EQ, um, it stands for emotional quotient. Um, There's books out about this.
3: It was artificial. It looked real, looked real, but it wasn't.
0: So that's, this, that's the setup. Watch where he jumps to from here. Now he's going to bridge this into Christian sanctification.
3: And then there's those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, people that are good people that follow Jesus.
0: At least we say, "You, you." If I swear, you, I got to point this out. You're gonna bl- you, you blinked and you missed it. Okay, he said something that tips his hands regarding his his beliefs. He does not believe in the biblical doctrine of original sin. Doesn't. 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 This guy believes that we are good people okay he just said it and i have to back this up just a bit don't blink you'll miss it but it's critical because here's the question okay kind of a worldview question what's the context we find ourselves in what's our problem and what's our solution these are kind of worldview problems our worldview type questions the christian worldview teaches that that the world that we find ourselves in, the problem that we have is that each and every one of us has inherited from Adam and Eve a sinful and corrupt nature. That we are by nature born dead in trespasses and sins. That we are by nature objects of God's wrath. That we are by nature in rebellion against God. Okay, it's a it's a sinful, corrupt flesh that we've inherited. Okay, the solution, by the way is that we need to be regenerated. We need to be born again. And this happens through the preaching of the gospel, the, the powerful working of God's spirit through the preaching of his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17 says. So the solution is regeneration, being born again, and that only comes through means, right? This is what scripture teaches. This guy, Tim Elmore, says that we're good people he says it more than once but you just you gotta listen so carefully because that becomes the pillar of his of what he's saying so if the problem if 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 listen if we're good people the problem isn't that we're bad the problem is something else and that's where he fundamentally falls off the christian truck by the way this is an international border issue not a state border issue just saying anyway listen again and then there's those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. People
3: that are good people, that follow Jesus. At least we say it's people who are good people. We do. We can know our Bibles inside and out. We memorize the scripture by God. We, we have little index cards with scripture verses on them. But we look at them every traffic signal when we're driving along. The, we know the Bible. We know the worship courses, all the lyrics. We know all the jargon. We know how to say praise God. And yet you look at our lives, and there may be no fruit at all, no evidence that we look any different from those people out there that don't say they follow Jesus.
0: Now notice, uh, again, because he denies, does not believe the doctrine of original sin as revealed in Scripture, you know, I mean, if you would just read your Bible, you'd come up with a solution here, or you'd be able to understand how to frame this properly. He hasn't framed it correctly at all, at least not biblically. So I want to take you to two passages real quick. We're going to do a little bit of biblical work. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to lay the, the biblical, this is just one of the passages that I could lay out for you that teaches that our problem is that we are born dead in trespasses and sins. The Apostle Paul writing to the church Churches in Ephesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to them, And you, you Christians in Ephesus, you were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Now, watch the solution that comes in. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay? So the idea is this this passage, and by the way, there's good cross references. I would point you to Romans chapter 3 as another fantastic. Uh, cross reference to this that makes it clear that there's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God, okay? Now, that being the case, now the question is, what is the status of Christians? How are Christians to, uh, take a look at, you know, ourselves, you know, in light of this truth? Well, here's the problem. Is that we are, it, we're kind of in an in-between state. Christians are a new creation in Christ, and we still have our sinful flesh. Let me read to you the the Apostle Paul, who also wrote Ephesians chapter 2, what he says about this conflict that Christians have. Romans 7, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but but I am of the flesh sold under sin for i do not understand my own actions for i do not do what i want but i do the very things that i hate now if i do what i do not want i agree with the law that it's good so now sin it is no longer it is no longer i who do it does it but it is sin do, that dwells in me for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do, uh, that when I want to do right, evil is, lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That be the new man. But I see that in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This teaching makes it clear that the Christian state is one of conflict. The new man, the new Adam, that you that the regenerate, the, the you know person who has been regenerated and born again, that dwells in you is in conflict with your sinful flesh. So the status here is that well, you're saved, you are you are justified, and you are sinner at the same time. This passage, by the way, forms the basis of the doctrine that. Is you know, you know, spelled out in the Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, which means that we are simultaneously justified. That means declared righteous before God and sinners at the same time. When will this be resolved? Well, uh, if Christ tarries, this conflict, this conflict that you have with your sinful flesh, will be resolved the moment that you breathe your last and your sinful carcass finally dies. Then you will not have to contend with it anymore. Okay. If Christ returns in our lifetime, well we will be caught up together with him and in the twinkling of an eye we will be changed from mortal to immortal and we will we will have our resurrection bodies that will not have sin and won't have this conflict and are not, you know, you understand what I'm saying. So think of it this way. Christians have a real problem and that is is that we have to do good works via the instrument of our sinful flesh. Okay? Let me give you a metaphor that, uh, that, I, that uh, well, Bill Swirla, that pastor Swirla came up with, which I think is a great metaphor. It's like running the brand new OS 10.8 10, uh, on an Apple II. Good luck on that. Um, there's going to be problems, okay? But this is the natural state of Christianity. If you're thinking, man, just I look at my life and it's like, uh, right, exactly. The conflict, the fact that conflict exists demonstrates that there's, that's good. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's really kind of for the birds because we Christians, it seems like we're at war with your, ourselves. And, well, we are. And here's the deal your sinful flesh has it out for you. I mean that. You know, it doesn't want to coexist. It wants the new man gone. So daily you have to, Take up your cross, follow Christ. Daily, you have to drown your sinful flesh in the waters of your baptism. That's the way the Reformers talked about it. Anyway, so here's the problem. Tim Elmore basically works from a presupposition. Oh, we're good people. We're good people. So the problem isn't our sinful flesh. That we have a, that we're, that we have sinful flesh. The problem is something different. So notice how he's setting this up. I, I bring all this in because he has the wrong problem, which means he does not operate from a Christian worldview. He's operating from a different worldview. So what's the problem, Tim? Why is it that, yeah, it, I've got, I know all of these Bible passages, but I look at my life and I just don't seem any different than the people in the world. The Apostle Paul didn't say, well, it's because you know too much Bible, but listen, watch what he does here. Anybody see what I'm saying?
3: And I see it in my own life. It looks like a real thing. In fact, we facade, we masquerade as mature, as, as advanced, and yet it was just stuff we had up here in our noggin. It wasn't really real. This term artificial maturity actually has a definition. In fact, I just released a book called Artificial Maturity. It's in bookstores, but let me define it for you right now. This isn't a
0: biblical teaching. Artificial maturity, not a biblical teaching.
3: Now, so you know exactly what I mean when I use the term artificial maturity. I think artificial maturity is a result of two realities that are existing simultaneously in this day we live in. In fact, look at the screens. Artificial maturity is a result, number one, of the fact that we are overexposed to information far earlier than we're ready.
0: Oh, so the reason why you're artificially mature as a Christian is because you're overexposed to information, i.e. biblical information. I'm not joking. Uh, by the way, I'll, I'll kind of prove this to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip my hat a little bit here. I'm going to tip my cards out, and I'm going to play a quote from later in the sermon so you know where he's going with this, because... Otherwise, you're, you're, you're tempted to go, Chris, are you sure you got this guy dialed in right? Yeah, actually, I do. Here's a quote from later in the sermon. Here we go.
3: Listen, unlike what we typically think, meat is not just deeper teaching. I'm telling you, folks, I have talked to so many people over the years as a, as a teacher and a pastor that would say, You know, you know brother Tim, I think I'm going to change churches. I think I'm just going to change churches. Oh, really? How come? Because I want to go where they preach the meat of the Word of God. It happens down south a lot, you can tell, okay? Now, you've probably seen them on TV, by the way, have you not? Okay. Now, you know what they're really saying? They're saying, I want to go deeper in my mental stimulation. I want to split the Greek and Hebrew words and find out the deeper meanings of those. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if you're doing something about it. If you're getting up off your bottom and actually doing it. But if you just want more mental gymnastics, that's an American idea. That's not a Bible idea. If you're taking notes, that's an American culture thing, not a Bible thing.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's, you know, I just wanted to make sure you understand. I know where this is going. That's proof that I know. So let's continue.
3: I mean, think about the kids that are growing up in this world that we're living in today. The kids over the last 20 years. They've been able to go online. They've been able to email the president of the United States since they were five years old. They go online, average age at three and a half years old. You know this, don't you? At four years old, they're surfing websites, getting information. Are their emotions ready for that information? Probably not, but they're getting information way earlier than they're ready.
0: <laughs> My daughter... So the problem isn't that they're born with a sinful flesh they inherited from Adam, but the, the problem is is they're getting just too much information too quickly. They're good people. It's just that they're being overwhelmed with bad information. Bethany, um, her first year out of college, taught preschool.
3: So she was with four year olds every day. She had funny stories for me every single day. She said, Dad, one day my four year olds were in the class, and she said, I looked over and I saw one little boy. He had a regular hardback book in his hand, and he was doing this to the cover trying to get that iPad to move. What's going on here? This book doesn't work, you know? And she said, no, sweetheart, you have to actually you have to open the book and turn the pages and look at the pictures. Oh my gosh, it's old fashioned, you know? But, but the point is, they're savvy to technology, aren't they? This is, this is normal. It's intuitive. In fact, I love what Dr. Tony Campola once said, sociologist from Eastern College. He said, I don't think we're living in a generation of bad kids. I think we're living in a generation of kids who know too much too soon.
0: Mm. So quoting the great Christian theologian, Tony Campolo, I don't think we're living in an era with bad kids. No, no, no. Tony Campolo again, another liberal who denies the biblical doctrine of original sin. And he's quoting him positively and saying, I agree. So the problem is they just have too much information too quickly. Interesting.
3: So you would agree, would you not? We are overexposed to information way earlier than we're ready to apply it. But second, we today are underexposed to real-life experiences far later than we're ready. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about kids and adults, but I'll th- go back to the kids for a minute. Kids a hundred years ago were experiencing life. In fact, they, in fact, the reason families were big families, like 12, 13 kids, they needed workers. True? I mean, today, if you had a large family, it would be an economic challenge on your hands, because teenagers are consumers, not contributors. But the point is, 100 years ago, we all, I mean, 4-year-olds had chores to do. I grew up 40, 50 years ago with chores at 4 years old. And I could hardly wait to throw papers at 12 years old and get a job at 16 years old. So there was real-life experience that happened earlier, but today, not so much. And it continues with us. We've got a lot up here between the ears. Not so much here in our hands. And this overexposure, underexposure is causing a virtual
0: maturity. We know a lot about something, so we think we've mastered it. So you would be obedient to God, but you're exposed to too much information and not enough hands-on experience. See, you're a good person. You just need more experience and less information. I was talking to a teenager last week, and I said, well, you know a lot
3: about that stuff. He goes, oh, yeah, I totally mastered it. I said, really? How come? I watched six YouTube videos on it. Oh, okay. Well there you go. There you're a, you're a PhD in that one. You know I mean but but it's how we think today. We just get so much coming at us, screaming at us, that we assume it's real. But it's not. I mean, call it knowledge, it's knowledge. But it doesn't equate to a maturity. Am I right about this? Information parades as action. We think it's real.
0: No, I completely challenge that. Information parades as action. What are you talking about? I don't know anybody who believes that, young or old. We think it's real life. We think it's maturation, but it's
3: fool's gold. It glistens like the real thing, but it might be worthless. I'm here to say that the challenge of the day is that artificial maturity naturally happens to us. We need to be intentional about creating authentic maturity
0: in our lives. So how do you create authentic maturity? Less information, more action. The result of all this, what
3: I'm telling you, is at least fourfold. There may be bunches of other unintended consequences, but let me very quickly give you four unintended consequences of this artificial maturity thing going on today. By the way, let me warn you, I'm about to be graphic, okay? So fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to be very graphic, okay? Number one, unattended consequence number one is simply this. Information without application causes spiritual constipation. You see why I warned you? Okay, I know this is very junior high-ish, but I'm simply saying lots coming in, but not much going out is
0: not healthy for anybody. Am I right? Okay, now I want to point something out. This is just the more highbrow, intellectually, intellectual-sounding, more reasonable-sounding way of saying, well, this. You showed up to church this morning. Did you show up with a bless me, feed
2: me, make me fatter preacher? I don't intend to do a thing you say, but I'm gonna listen to you. And if you, damn, say one thing I don't like, I promise I'll cross my arms and cross my eyes at you the rest of the sermon. Did you show up to file a little bit more religious information in your already overloaded hard drive so that you could do absolutely nothing about it? The church is full of pot bellied Christians waiting to shove their spiritual. Food down their mouth one more time but they don't intend to do anything to bless anybody you are a Pharisee you sit on the front row you might even take notes but you take notes so you can argue with them with your roommate after church and how I don't really believe in all that yeah but if we ever start turning in this front row Pharisee crowd I don't think the teachings deep enough I would like a little more hermeneutical explanation on the original languages
0: in the Aramaic and the Hebrew Jesus says shut up help somebody bless somebody heal somebody Jesus says shut up Uh, That's my favorite Stephen Furtick line, by the way. Just tells me he ain't a brother in Christ. Serve somebody.
2: Pray for somebody. Why don't you do something? Why don't you bring a lost friend to church with you next week? Watch Jesus change their life. And then you won't be worried about how loud the music was. You'll just hope that they meet Jesus. That'll be the only thing you can think about. It'll consume you. But some people say, I wish you wouldn't preach all these topical sermons. I wish you'd just preach verse by verse through the book of Galatians so that we can understand the full propitiation of the justification by faith. No, here's what you want to do. You want to pull your fat butt up to the table and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And some of y'all even double dip because you go to three churches, you don't serve at any, and you're fat and you need to get on a treadmill and do something for Jesus.
0: Okay, next quote. Um, yeah, uh, so you, you think, that, I think that, like I said, that's just kind of a kinder and gentler way of Saying that. Here's Mark Beeson pretty much conveying the same message. Here we go.
2: Always some yahoo in the crowd who climbs up in this
0: chair. And they don't get it. They climb up in this chair and they go, Feed me!
1: Wait, Pastor! Pastor! Feed me! Over here!
2: And they throw a little baby fit, wanting all the attention. They get up in this chair. Oh no, this is not the high chair. This is the I chair. It's all about me. It's all about me. They sit here whining. Oh, I want more, deeper, deeper worship. I want more Bible study. Feed me, feed me. Big, wimpy, soft, baby, sissy. These people wear me out. And I talk to pastors all over the country, and they say, what do you do with the needy people? I say, the needy who don't yet know Christ, they don't know they matter to God? No, no, the needy, mature Christians who always want it deeper.
0: Okay, and then, well, of course, this. By the way, I'm not bleeping this. This is uh, Perry Noble's version of the same message.
2: He said, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Deep? Deep? Most Christians are, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. I want more worship. You got six other days. (laughs) If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang.
0: Okay, and then more recently, um, remember Ed Young's rant against the Calvinists? Well, this also falls into this same Vain, notice the theme. Anti-doctrinal, anti-intellectual, anti-deep teaching. Here, here's a montage of some of the things that Ed Young went on in his recent rant against the Calvinists. See if you remember these.
4: I'll just be comfortable. No wonder the young people like it. It's
3: sexy and cool.
0: I'm learning stuff. I love Calvinism because I'm learning stuff. <sighs> just relaxing. Yeah, learning stuff. That's just Relaxing.
4: Oh, he's deep. What are you smoking? Are you kidding me? I cannot put my head on the pillow at night knowing that our church has baptized 26 people. I can talk over your head like that. I know the Hebrew, the Greek. I've done theology. You can tell I know. What do I want you guys to do? Leave and go. Man, Ed's so smart. I don't know what in the heck he was talking about. It was a great theology class. We're not going to be a gearhead church. You know what a gearhead is? A gearhead, in fishing terminology, is someone who's so into the gear,
3: but they hardly ever fish. Yeah. Not a lot of gearhead churches.
0: Yeah, so, um, yeah, notice the theme here. Anti-intellectual, anti-knowledge. By the way, I I keep pointing this out recently, and I keep doing it. If you have not heard my lecture, resistance is futile, you will be assimilated by the community. You need to go to fightingforthefaith.com, go to the archives, to the May 11th edition of Fighting for the Faith, and listen to my lecture, resistance is futile, you'll be assimilated by the community. Folks, this is not a biblical teaching. The Bible doesn't teach... Listen, stop focusing on reading your Bibles and just obey what little you've heard. The Bible doesn't teach this. This whole false dichotomy between head knowledge and heart knowledge, this has a historical root. It has a historical source. And the historical source is fascism. I know that that is a really brutal thing to say, but it's a fact. Go listen to my lecture, Resistance is futile. You'll be assimilated by the community. By the way, I'll I'll read to you. I mean, from one of the major fascist theologians, if you would, of the 20th century, uh, Giovanni Gentili. Here's what he says. Is fascism therefore anti-intellectual as has been so often charged? It is eminently anti-intellectual. Intellectual—that That is, if by intellectualism we mean the divorce of thought from action, of knowledge from life, of brain from heart, of theory from practice, fascism is hostile to all utopian systems which are destined never to face the test of reality. It is hostile to all science, all philosophy, which remain matters of mere fancy or intelligence. It is not that fascism denies the value of culture to the higher intellectual pursuits by thought. Uh, uh, by which thought is invigorated as a source of action by virtue of its repugnance for intellectualism fascism prefers not to waste time constructing abstract theories about itself but when we say that it is not a system or a doctrine we must not conclude that it is a blind praxis or a purely instinctive method if by system or philosophy we mean a living thought a principle of universal character daily revealing its inner fertility and significance then fascism is a perfect system with a solidly established foundation and with a rigorous logic in its own development, and all who feel the truth and vitality of the principle work day by day for its development. This idea has its roots not in the Bible, but in fascist philosophy. And in my lecture, Resistance is Futile, You'll Be Assimilated by the Community, I draw the direct connections between early fascist philosophers, the anti enlightenment, and those people who are the main people who brought the seeker-driven movement into existence. What we're hearing from Tim Elmore is exactly the exact same theme we keep hearing over and over and over again from seeker-driven leaders. Stop telling us to go deeper in the scriptures. Get busy and obey what little information you have. It's all about deeds, not creeds. That's what we're getting here from Tim Elmore. We continue. Okay? Okay. So it is with intellectuals.
3: So it is with information. Lots coming in, not much going out. Once again, information parades as action, but we get stopped up. We get stuck. Number two, information without application causes volitional obesity. Now I know that's not a term you use in everyday conversation, let me explain. You know what your volition is, don't you? It's your will. To be strong volitionally means you have a strong will. I have noticed if you keep taking in knowledge and information, Information that informs the way you act, but you do not act. You continue to take more in, but you don't do anything about it. It causes your will to be blubbery, and pardon the graphic, obese. It's almost like too much food, not enough exercise. I'm sorry, you're going to be overweight. And sometimes I think our will gets soft, and it's no longer strong. Have you? By the way, have you ever noticed this? I've noticed this in my own life. If I keep hearing stuff, but I do not do anything about it, my will actually gets weaker and weaker and weaker with each moment. Each time I have a chance to do something about it, I seem to have less resolve to do it. But converse is true, too. If I continue to act on what I know, my will gets stronger. It's like a muscle. Salespeople understand this when they're trying to sell or be a vendor for products. In fact, I heard of one guy that operates by a two-not-three rule. Have you heard of this? It's a little shoe boutique up in the Northeast. He was out selling all the big shoe chains and selling shoes to to ladies. And so somebody asked him, What's your secret? He goes, My secret is two, not three. And when he was asked to explain, here is what he said When a woman comes in to buy a pair of shoes, she can be overwhelmed. Am I right, ladies? You can get overwhelmed at a shoe store, okay? Oh my gosh, I see this and I see this and I see this. And so he says, uh, would you like me to pick a couple of pairs off for you to try on? Absolutely. Let's do that one and that one. Well she'll try the two new pairs of shoes on and then she'll go, oh my, 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 I see another pair over there. Can I try that one on? And he will say with a smile on his face, I'll be happy to go fetch that other pair for you. Which of the first two would you like me to take away? Now his point is this, if I bring three pairs, four pairs, five pairs out, often it's so much information, we get paralyzed and we don't act at all and we don't buy anything. But just two, you might buy one or maybe both of those pairs. He's out selling every other shoe store in the area. He simply understands that we get overwhelmed with options, with information, with so much coming at us that we, that we get stuck. In fact, does this ever happen to you? I'll have
0: a very so the reason why you're not o- more obedient is because you have too much. In- you're suffering from biblical information overload. You gotta stop reading your Bible.
3: Busy day, maybe lots of information coming at email and text and tweets and everything else. Just so much coming at me that I'll go to a restaurant and I make the simplest decision of the day, ordering my meal. But the options are so much, I go. I don't know what to order. Do you ever get stuck in a restaurant? Just bring me whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You know, you, do, you want to say that to the waitress. But the point is this. Your will has gotten weakened. It's gotten worn out.
0: Yes, yeah, see, you're, you, you, more information that, that's thrown at you, you become weaker. Less information makes you stronger. And I'm simply saying I think it comes from a lot of data
3: without action. The fourth, excuse me, the third unattended consequence is this. Information without
0: application actually causes emotional problems. See, you don't want to have emotional problems, do you? See, you're going to have emotional problems if you read your Bible too much and overwhelm yourself with information. I meet a lot with psychologists today as as I work on university campuses
3: with young adults, with college students. And I'm hearing more and more counselors or therapists use a term. The term they're using today as they work with their clients is high arrogance, low self-esteem.
0: Yeah, see, look at that. If you you read your Bible a lot, you're going to be really arrogant with a low self-esteem. You don't want that, do you? Did you hear that?
3: High arrogance, low self-esteem. Meaning, I know so much, I've gotten kind of cocky about it because I think I know it. And yet, deep down, I know I've done nothing about it. And so I feel hollow on the inside. And I sure don't want anybody to see that I've got nothing. And so I uh, keep this veneer of arrogance and cockiness and conceit and pride and everything else. It's, but it's a veneer. It's a facade. Because I know deep down it might be artificial. The last unintended consequence is... Information without application
0: causes intellectual challenges. It act- See, you don't want to have intellectual challenges, do you? You gotta stop reading so much Bible. Actually,
3: causes intellectual challenges. Now, it's not that you don't understand the information, but here's here's what Herbert Simon said. I think he summed it up best. Catch this: Herbert Simon once said that a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. A wealth of information creates a poverty of attention meaning if i
0: keep, i have so much coming at me i can't act on it all in fact it's a imp- see you would be more obedient to god if you'd stop reading your bible and just not have so much information going on pause would act on it all so i get satisfied with just skimming the surface my attention
3: span gets much shorter sound familiar in fact, I'm giving attention to so many things, I can't go deep on any one of them. I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I can know a lot about a lot of things. Excuse me, I know a little bit a lot of things. i got a thousand friends on Facebook, don't know any of them well. Two thousand people follow me on Twitter, don't know any of them at all. Now, I'm probably over-speaking, but you follow what I'm saying, don't you? We live in a day where there's so much, there is a plethora of knowledge and, of, and information available that somehow we've just gotten satisfied with knowing, not doing which is having it up here but never applying it or acting on it. Does this happen to you too? It happens to me all the time, and I hate it. And I realize now i got to be intentional about fighting it. I'd rather consume just a little bit of information if possible and somehow flesh out how does it look in my life rather than take
0: little information and just flesh it out. You don't need a lot of Bible. Stop reading the Bible. I can only think of one entity um, within our universe who would want you to not read your Bible? I can only think of one. Satan. Yeah. God wants you to read your Bible. Satan doesn't want you to read it. But this is a clever, clever and slick sermon that basically the bottom line is, you want to be more obedient? Read less Bible and get you know, and be obedient to the little, little tiny bits of information that you have. You do this, you follow this, Satan has got you in a snare. Because God's Word is living and active and sharper than any double edged sword. All Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. All scripture, script, that's what the scripture says. All scripture is God breathed. This guy is teaching the exact opposite of what God's word says. And the crazy thing about it is that he's going to absolutely try to make this a biblical teaching. Yet, here again, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God breathed. Theonustas, and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This scripture alone, this verse alone refutes everything this guy is saying. You are not hearing a biblical teaching. This is a satanic teaching masquerading as a biblical teaching. And that's, that is not an overstatement. That is a statement of fact, straight up what it really is. We continue.
3: Taking in so much that I'm now loving the mental stimulation. I'm doing mental gymnastics and getting goosebumps. But it's all artificial. You don't see any fruit in my life. You don't see any byproducts of what I know.
0: It's just a bunch. How on earth can you not bear fruit as a Christian being grounded in the word? That, that's impossible. What this guy's saying is not taught in Scripture. He is literally speaking the opposite of what Scripture says. bunch of
3: knowledge. Well, let me say the obvious. We can either get mad or get busy. But where our culture is going, somehow unwittingly, I don't think this is a bad thing. It's just we have to be aware of it. We have to be intentional about it. I'm thinking the information is not going away. We live
0: in a day of technology and it's not going away. Yes, so information's not going away. That terrible, horrible thing, information, it's keeping us from being obedient and maturing. So it's not going away. What can we do about it? Notice it's not our sinful flesh that's the problem. It's knowledge going away, right? And we don't want it to go away. We love the speed and convenience with which we,
3: we now enjoy our lives. But listen to me. It can do damage unless we handle it well.
0: Yeah, that information that that could destroy you, man. It can make you psychologically unbalanced, uh, all kinds of things. It, it can make you be arrogant with low self-esteem. I mean, it'll it'll make you intellectually fat and and weak. Notice all of the verbs and words that he's using to describe those, well, who have a lot of knowledge of what the scriptures teach. They're unhealthy, they're arrogant, they're unbalanced, they're psychologically, well, they got problems.
3: In fact, just listen to these two facts to convince you. Do you realize that this day, it happens to be Sunday, this day, a person living in New York City picking up the New York Times will consume more
0: information in today's paper than someone living during the 19th Can I point out the obvious? Do you notice that he's using information to prove that information's wrong or harmful? You see the self-defeating thing going on here? He's a true postmodern.
3: A century would consume their entire lives. Their entire lives. In fact, a person living in New York City today, over a two-week span of time, will encounter more people than a person living in medieval times would encounter their entire lives. This is the day we live in. And I don't know if you feel it, living where you are, but you know I'm right, don't you, that this is a day where speed and convenience and more information is coming at us swirling about us and we've got to make a decision on how to handle it so i believe that we need to handle this information well and the best way to start i think is with scripture
0: i want to look now we're going to we're going to use biblical information to prove that biblical information is not healthy for you go figure I mean, the irony here. I mean, this is the same kind of thinking that brings us that we are going to be tolerant and not tolerate those who are intolerant. We're all about diversity, but we will not allow anybody who is not have the same views of tolerance that we have.
3: Look now at three passages of scripture that I believe will inform us on how to understand and then re- react or respond to this day we live in. So if you brought your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up first to First Corinthians chapter
0: three in the New Testament. And by the way, if you don't have your Bible, don't sweat it. We're gonna put this passage up. That's right. We're gonna use the Bible to prove that biblical having a lot of biblical knowledge is not a good thing. Having a lot of doctrine, that's bad. Okay? Now, our three rules for sound biblical interpretation or understanding are context, context, context. I'm gonna point out this fact. This guy rips these verses out of their context and is in when you put them back in context, you'll easily see that what he's saying is not what these passages are saying. Uh, the one passage we're going to be looking at from the book of Hebrews chapter 5 that one takes a little bit of work. So yeah, you know, but I'll explain it to you as we go. Here we go.
3: Up on the screen. But first Corinthians chapter 3 starting with verse 1, we're we're going to read where the apostle Paul addresses this very issue in the Corinthian people. Now, let me give you some background real quick. You know that Corinth was in Greece. And it was, as a Greek town, a, a, a... Well, you know the Greeks loved knowledge. They had their own version of the information age. They loved knowledge. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says, For the Greeks love knowledge. They love new ideas. So they were just loving to consume any new concept that came out. Sound familiar? But Paul wrote the people attending the Corinthian church in Greece and wrote these words. Here's what he wrote. Starting with verse 1. And I, brothers... Could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, or worldly men, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, notice that, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like... Mere men. Now, it's interesting that he would use those terms. Paul addressed these Corinthian people, adults, mind you, as babies, not mature, drinking milk, not solid food, as unstable, not stable. And listen, the problem he's accusing them of was not that they didn't know enough. It's that they didn't do anything uh, uh, anything about what they knew.
0: Okay, this is flat out false. Context, context, context. This guy's not as slick as he thinks he is. Let me read to you. Let's add the verses he left out. What's going on in this passage? What is going on? Well, Paul writes, this is a word of rebuke here in chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And yet now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Okay, stop. What jealousy, what strife, and what solution does Paul offer here? Notice... Paul's writing them scripture, Paul's sending them a letter full of information, and he's, I mean, the pastor here, Tim, is he's quoting from the Bible, he's giving us biblical information, watch this, he says, but there's jealousy and strife among you, verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Paul? What is Apollos? servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for all. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If, one, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells with you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that are futile. So let the one who boasts in men... For, uh, let, let, let no one boast in men, for all these are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God. So Paul writes them a letter and gives them information, information that was inspired by God the Holy Spirit, and they were having jealousy and strife, and the solution was for them, for him, to give them more biblical teaching. For when Paul wrote, he was writing Scripture itself. And why were they having jealousy and strife? Because they didn't properly understand the doctrine that they had been taught, and so Paul gives them more doctrine to clear this up. What Tim is doing is basically trying to say, look, he says that they were, they, they just weren't being obedient and they weren't applying the information they have. So what did Paul do? He gave them more information to build on the information that he would already given them. We continue.
3: And that's our problem. We know all the right answers. If I ask any of you, uh, you, oh, I know that, I know that, I know that. In fact, I work a lot with NCAA Division I athletic programs and actually three pro baseball teams. We work with athletes quite a bit in, in my organization. The coaches that work with these student athletes, these young ball players, say the phrase that they hear all the time for these young players are, I know, 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 I know. And they're going, well, they probably know up here, but, but do you do anything about it? No but i watch youtube videos on it you know i mean it, it, it boils down to i'm just consuming more information
0: this is again the the, the i just presented to you all of first corinthians chapter 3 which showed that paul gave them more biblical information and clearer doctrine to help them if if i mean if what tim was saying was true paul said just shut up and obey the little information that I already give you. Straighten up and fly right. You obviously already know the right answer. Get busy and obey. But that's not what he did. He gave them more doctrine, more teaching, more information, more of God's Word to help set them straight.
3: And I love the way he ended this text we just read. Verse 3, are you not walking like mere men? Do you know what? He didn't
0: end the text there. See, again, this is a flat-out lie. I mean, he goes on to explain what the jealousy and strife was about because there were factions in the, church, in the church and court saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. He didn't end the text at verse 3. That is a flat-out lie. What he meant by that? He was simply saying,
3: I can't tell the difference between your life and those people out there that don't even claim to follow Christ. I'm not trying to give you a spiritual spanking, but would someone look at you or me that way and say, I don't know, between Sundays, I cannot tell the difference. You don't look any different at all. Now, with that tucked away in your mind, let's look at another passage. The writer of the book of Hebrews goes further with the same concept. So if you'll turn to the book of Hebrews, further back toward the right in your New Testament, Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to start reading with
0: verse 12, where the writer talks about infants and mature, and here's what he says Okay, I'm going to point something out. He is purposely omitting verse 11, which sets the context for this rebuke by the author of the book of Hebrews. By omitting verse 11, he is, in, he is purposely and willfully omitting a you know part of the passage that would refute him. And I'll explain it in a minute. In Hebrews 5, he writes, For though by this time
3: you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need, oh, there it is again, milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of, okay, say the word, because of what? Practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now he continues, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ let's press on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and this we will do if God permits now did you notice these people have a lot in common he talks about the infant and the mature again the milk and the solid food but he goes further here Did you notice he kind of describes milk and solid food for us? And did you happen to notice, as you read that text with me, that the list you would make that falls into the milk category are primarily items that we would call instructional in nature. You get instruction about them. In fact, he even said that. Instruction about washing. Instruction about eternal judgment. It's teaching. It's information. The items you would list under the meat or solid food category, did you notice? It was application in nature. In fact, you said the word with me, who by reason of practice had their senses trained.
0: Now, this is deceitful on the highest level, okay? Hebrews 11. If you happen to own a copy of the ESV, then you'll notice that verse 11 has a a, a heading, you know, a a section heading in the ESV. And here's the, the name of the section heading, warning against apostasy, Okay. This is critical. I'm going to to pull in a few different pieces, and I'm going to do a little bit of exegetical work here. The writer of the, the the divine author of the book of Hebrews writes, about this we have much to say. He had just gone through an entire teaching regarding Melchizedek and the fact that he doesn't have to sacrifice himself you know uh, you know the you know he's a high the Jesus is a high priest in the order of melchizedek it's a fantastic teaching that helps us understand all of the types and shadows regarding the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood in the old testament and how we're to view them as christians it's a ridiculously great teaching so at this point there's a warning and a rebuke to whoever received this letter About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Notice the rebuke. The people who are receiving this letter have become dull of hearing the word of God, of knowing it, of learning it. So they're having to go back to the basics all the time it would be the, the equivalent here would be like let's say you decided to take a, a you know christianity 101 class and you were dull of hearing and you never learned what the teacher was saying and so you had to take christianity 101 again but you didn't pay attention didn't remember anything that was said didn't take notes didn't think it was worth remembering what was and so you had to take christianity 101 again that's what the rebuke is here About this, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Listen to that again. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. There in verse 13, the author here is expecting them by now to be skilled in the word of righteousness. The rebuke is, is that because they are not, they're dull of hearing, they're not skilled, they're not teachers, and they're unskilled in the word of righteousness when they should be skilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature and those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I'm going to read a few things here for you. We'll start with kind of the, the easier thing to get at. And that would be just a simple note from, uh, you know, from like something like, well... The uh, Lutheran Study Bible. Okay, here's what it has to say about this. Okay, verse 11: Hard, dull of hearing. The teacher is not too the teaching is not too complicated, but the hearers are slow to listen and to understand. Verse 12: By this time, likely the readers have been Christian for some time. Um, You know, the key point of the apostolic teaching, such as the examples listed in Hebrews 6.11, uh, or, or milk, gathered from cows, sheep, or goats and stored in jars, immersed in spring water, milk was food for children but also given to the sick. With maturity, a student of Scripture is better prepared to understand the more challenging passages and apply them correctly to life's more difficult issues. An immature student may fall into doubt or fear or perhaps more dangerously into pride. Verse thirteen, unskilled in the world, in the word, people could not keep the truths of Scripture straight, and so they were falling into error. Okay, powers of discernment that are trained by constant practice. Verse 14, adults by experience have developed palates that can discern subtle differences in food and drink. Only spiritually mature people can properly deserve and receive the solid food of advanced teaching. Uh, Distinguish good from evil. The spiritually mature are able to distinguish true teaching from false teaching, good behavior from wickedness. This is a chastisement because they're not paying attention to learning marking inwardly digesting and learning the scriptures they're unskilled in the scripture and therefore are subject they're they're not able to distinguish good from evil because they're unskilled in God's word that's what's going on here now let me uh, let me bring two other resources to bear on this that, that also say pretty much the same idea in the first here would be, uh, Lenski's, uh, commentary on, uh, on this epistle. Lenski writes regarding verse 11, the writer here is very frank with his readers. We have noted this in his admonitions, which are direct and not, and they do not mince words. He has touched upon the subject of Christ's high priesthood, which is not prefigured in Aaron, but in the remarkable high priest Melchizedek, who more than Aaron reflects the greatness and the endlessness of Christ's high priesthood. Shall the writer go on to say more on this subject, even as there is much more of the highest value to be said? Someone has come over his, uh, something has come over his readers that makes him hesitate." They are no longer the people they once were. Their ears have become sluggish. The writer tells them plainly what is the matter with them. Their sorry condition makes it hard for him to expound what God says in reference to Christ and Melchizedek. He intends to make the attempt in spite of this, even as he has already begun to do. His object in scoring his readers as he now does is to rouse them to use their ears as they formerly did. Besides this, he justifies himself for presenting the subject in chapter 7, verse 1, in utmost simplicity as one feeds milk to babes. They themselves are the cause for his pro- uh, proceeding in an abc fashion this rebuke hurts these readers were former jews and were therefore thoroughly versed in the old testament now it however develops that they have been thinking of dropping back into the old judaism and giving up christ are they really such babes as to not know what god himself says about the supreme and eternal high priesthood of jesus in connection with melchizedek to whom even abraham bowed Well, then the writer will put it in the form of milk for them so that as babes they may grow up anew. This rebuke is thoroughly deserved. It is at the same time administered so as to produce the fullest effect for the simple instruction that is now to follow. You see what's going on there? There's a reason why the divine author of Hebrews is rebuking his hearers here, and it's because their ears have become dull to hear God's Word, and to hear it, and to learn it, and to take it to heart. So that's what's going on. Now, I'd also like to read to you what, the, uh, what Christostom says about this passage. We'll go back in church history, take a look at what Christostom says to see if it, well, if it jives with what Tim Elmore is basically saying. By the way, it wouldn't, because Christostom wasn't silly enough to believe that somehow uh, the Bible teaches that you need less Bible and more application. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's silly. Christostom, well, actually, he preached this. This is uh, on a sermon on his epistle to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 8, by the way, in his uh, sermons there. Christostom writes about this passage. He, the author, is not speaking now concerning life conduct when he says the ability to distinguish good from evil. For this is possible and easy for every person to know, but concerning doctrines that are wholesome and sublime, and those that are corrupted and low. The babe knows not how to distinguish bad and good food. Oftentimes, at least, it even puts dirt in its mouth and takes what is hurtful, and it does all things without judgment, but not so the full grown person. Such babes as they, as are they, who lightly listen to everything and give up their ears indiscriminately, which seem to me, to blame these Hebrews also as being lightly carried away and giving themselves now to these, uh, now to those. This is also. He also hinted near the end of the epistle, saying, "Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings." This is the meaning of to distinguish good and evil. For the mouth tastes meat, but the soul tries words. So let us then learn this lesson. Do not, when you hear that someone is not a heathen or a Jew, straight away believe him to be a Christian, but examine also all other points, for even the Manichaeans and all the heresies uh, have put on this mask in order to deceive the more simple. But if we have the faculties of the soul trained to distinguish good from evil, we are able to discern such teachers. But how do our faculties become trained? By continual hearing and by experience of the scriptures. For when we set forth the error of those heretics, and you hear today and tomorrow and prove that it is not right, you have learned the whole, you have known the whole, even if you should not comprehend today, you will comprehend tomorrow. Who have, he says, their faculties trained? You see, that is, it is needful to exercise our hearing by divine studies, so that they may not sound strangely trained, he said, to distinguish, that is, to be skilled. One person says that there is no resurrection, another looks for none of the things to come. Another says that there is a different God, another that he has his beginning from Mary. And see at once how they have all fallen away from want of moderation, some by excess, others by defect even the ancient church understood that this wasn't about doing this was about being unskilled in the word of god and that's what they point out so it's funny here that tim is making this passage about the exact opposite of what the passage is really about so you know, and of course again it's all silly so the bible teaches that you don't need to that you shouldn't be reading the bible That you don't want to overdose on on Scripture. Yet Jesus himself says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is what Scripture teaches. But Tim is teaching the exact opposite and trying to make the Bible say the exact opposite of what it actually says. Unbelievable! Remember the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Jesus didn't say, just teach them some, just a little bit.
3: Listen, unlike what we typically think, meat is not just deeper teaching. I'm telling you, folks, I have talked to so many people over the years as a, as a teacher and a pastor that would say, you know, you know, Brother Tim, I think I'm going to change churches. I think I'm just going to change churches. <laughs> oh, really? How come? Because I want to go where they preach the meat of the Word of God. <laughs> it happens down south a lot, you can tell, okay? <laughs> now, you've probably seen them on TV, by the way, have you not, okay? Now. You know what they're really saying? They're saying, I want to go deeper in my mental stimulation. I want to split the Greek and Hebrew words and find out the deeper meanings of those. Now there's nothing wrong with that if you're doing something about it. If you're getting up off your bottom and actually doing it. But if you just want more gen- mental gymnastics, that's an American idea. That's not a Bible idea. If you're taking notes, that's an American culture thing, not a Bible thing. In this text we just read, he said meat is doing the milk.
0: No, he didn't. That's not what that text says at all. The they were chastised for being slow witted and not hearing. That's what the text. Ah, oh, unbelievable. That's why he left out verse eleven because it contradicts him. See, I, by the way, if you were to ask somebody in the ancient church, could you give me a summary of the Christian faith? They might they might recite to you something like this i believe in one god the father the almighty the maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible and in one lord jesus christ the only begotten son of god begotten of his father before all worlds god of god light of light very god of very god begotten not made being of one substance with the father by whom all things are made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. By the way, just quick question. Those are the first two articles of the Nicene Creed. Go, Go do that. Go do it. Come on. Get busy. You know, you need to apply this. Go. Do it. You're sitting there going, what are you talking about? I'm not supposed to do anything. All of those things are statements of what God has done, of what Christ has done for me. Right. What's the application? Believe it. Right. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and is glorified who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Now go do that. Go do it. I can't do anything there. That's all statements of what God has done for us. Right. The application is to believe. Right? We continue who by reason of practice are now
3: being trained. you got all this instruction, and thank God you do. you got a lot up here. Now I'm asking you to, to get beyond that and actually flesh it out. Do it. And you'll find that depth comes in your life. Not by getting a better verse, but by doing the verse you know. Hello? So, I struggle with this. Because I like to be stimulated. I like to come on Sunday mornings, get goosebumps on my arm and get inspired. And of course, that's okay. There's nothing wrong. And pla- keep coming. But when you get up, say, What is one thing I'm going to do? Because I tell you what, maturation, in fact, maturation and all kinds of wisdom come through practice, not just through more
0: consumption. I love what Jesus said about this. you notice how he equates reading your Bible with consumption? And that's bad, apparently. Jesus himself was addressing this very issue in the book of John, chapter
3: 7. We won't read it on the screens, but listen, I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He had a bunch of people following him at one point in his earthly ministry. And these people were questioning whether he was really from God or not. They weren't really sure. And Jesus turns to these questioning people, and here's what he says. He says, if anybody will do my teaching, then he will know whether it's from God or not.
0: Okay. His uh, his paraphrase, his synopsis leaves out some really important data that would contradict him. Okay, let's take a look. Uh, John chapter seven verse fourteen. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marvelled, saying, "How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied?" What you know what Jesus is doing? He's teaching. He's giving a whole bunch of information and they're marveling at Jesus, right? So Jesus answers them, my teaching is not mine, but it, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am, I am speaking on my own authority. Jesus wasn't talking about this very problem. Here, I'm just going to give you a little bit of information. Go and do it before I give you more. That's not what this text is saying at all. By the way, let me read to you another passage from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. Um, yeah, this is kind of important. So the, somebody came to Jesus. They said to him, what must we... This is chapter 6, verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Straight up question from the Gospel of John. What must we be doing to do the works of God? Nope. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit here. Go apply this and then come back and I'll tell you some more. Watch what he says. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. We continue.
3: Now, isn't that backwards from what we normally want? We want to say just the opposite. We want to say, God, lay it all on me. Give me all the information. I'll weigh it out, and then I'll tell you if I want to do it. I mean, that makes logical sense, and God says, no, I'm sorry, I love you, and because I love you, my kingdom is built on trust and faith. I'll give you a little bit of information, and if you'll get up and do it, you'll have confirmation that it's for me.
0: That's not what John 7 17 says at all. They were marveling because he was teaching and he hadn't even studied. And he said, If your will is to do the will of my Father, you will know that my teaching is true. He, Jesus wasn't saying, Here, I'll give you a little bit of information, go do it, and then you'll know that it's from God.
3: You'll have peace on the inside, you'll know. And by the way, when you act on the light that you do have, I actually give you more light. You act on the words I give you, I give you more words. But if you won't act on it, you got to do it first. That's so upside down to us. And maybe that's why we don't go...
0: No, that's so upside down because that's not what the scriptures teach at all. And I've demonstrated every passage you've quoted, you've quoted out of context. And the very passages you are citing in your favor actually say the opposite of what you're saying. And notice... You're quoting us biblical information to prove that we, we need less biblical information. Unbelievable. Deeper in the kingdom. Maybe it's why
3: we don't go deeper. I think we're good people in this room today. I think I'm a good person. I think. But
0: by and by large... There it is again. Denial of original sin. I think I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner.
3: Along the way, we just get satisfied with knowing, Not doing. I have a friend named Russ. I think I've mentioned him before. I've known him for three decades now. Russ, for a while during his life, during his career, would do seminars in churches called Knowing the Will of God. Of course, it was always a big group because everybody wants to know the will of God. So one Saturday morning, he's in a church, and it's a packed house. And before he starts teaching anything, he says, Now, I just want to ask you a quick question before I begin. begin." He said, How many of you have come this morning... And you've said to yourself, even before I know the will of God, I'm already committed to doing it. In other words, as soon as I find out I've already made my decision, I'm going to obey God. I'm just going to do it. I'm committed. And about half the crowd that morning raised their hand. And then with a big smile on his face, he said, well, okay, thank you. Seminar's over. And they go, what, 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 what? You saw, you saw puzzled faces in the audience. And then he explained. He said, The reason the seminar's over is you don't need it. He said, You just, you just raise your hand, he, you're already going to find out. You don't need me to teach you because God said He's going to reveal it to you if you're committed to doing it. And the rest of you, you didn't raise your hand. He's never going to tell you anybody because you're not committed to doing it. So the seminar's over. <laughs> wow. A little bit of ouch there. Now, I'm simply saying that's how He works. So, quickly, let me just ask you one application question. Is there something you know to do right now? Maybe you've known for years and you've not done anything about it, and you're wondering why God doesn't speak to you anymore, or doesn't speak as much, or doesn't say much? I'm wondering. Maybe it's us, not Him. Maybe we've just consumed all this information, and God's saying, stop seeking any more advice. You already know what to do. I'm just saying. There's one more passage I want to look at real quick. It's found in the book of Luke chapter 6. This is where Jesus, again, himself is speaking about this issue. And he lays it out so clearly, he puts a punctuation mark at the end of the subject. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 46, I want you to follow with me as I read. He says, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Stop for just a second. Isn't that a great question, by the way? Shall we keep moving so it doesn't get awkward in here? He's basically saying, how can you keep calling me master, master, Lord, Lord, as if I'm in charge and you're not, and you're willing to do what I tell you, and you don't do what I tell you? Don't call me that or do it. He keeps going. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and, watch this, acts on them, I'm going to show you who he's like.
0: Can I point out the obvious folly here? This is ridiculous. Okay. So far, Tim is basically making a case, listen, you just got to obey. We need less information, not more. More information is what's causing you to not be obedient, right? You just need to obey the little bit that you have, and then God will give you more. Okay? This is just, this is unbelievable that he's quoting this passage, and here's why. <clears throat> Watch this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? How can I do what Christ tells me if i don't read the word notice the emphasis i was yelling on purpose there okay everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them i will show you what he is like he's like a man building a house who dug deep uh, dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock and when the flood arose the stream broke against that house and could not make and, and could not shake it because it had been well built but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground. If what, if this passage, we're teaching what Tim is saying, basically saying, listen, you just need to build the house. You don't need information about what it's supposed to look like. Just start building. Jesus here is saying the one who hears and doesn't do is a problem because listen, Scripture is not just a how-to manual. It contains different types of teaching. Some are be, are to be believed. Others are tells us things that we should avoid. Other passages tell us things we should do. Other things tell us what we shouldn't believe. And others tell us what we ought to believe. Okay? So it's life and doctrine. And how am I supposed to do what God wants me to do if I won't hear what it is that I'm supposed to do or believe or say or not do. The only way that you would know to be the wise builder is to set yourself at the foot of Jesus and hear everything that he has to say. And the only way to do that is to open up your Bible and read it. And it's such a long book. You're going to have to be in it constantly. The only way to be a wise builder is to be wise in the scriptures. That's the point of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 5. When he says, you are unskilled in the word of righteousness, so you don't know how to practice. You know, you, the only way you can do this is by practice and become skilled in discerning right and wrong. And the only way to do that is to be listeners and hearers of the word. Here, Tim has the audacity to basically say, listen, 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 you just need to do, but you don't need to hear. Yet this very passage tells you to hear and do. It's unbelievable.
3: He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, he's like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, these two builders have a lot in common. They're both builders. They both built a house. They both had storms. By the way, the issue is not, well, you have a storm. We're all going to get storms. The big difference was only one thing. One of those men stopped at merely information. The other one would not be satisfied until he got to application. I'm going to take what I know, and I'm actually going to practice it. And Jesus said, that's the foundation. The foundation is... And you can't practice it unless you know it. Duh! is isn't more Bible knowledge, although that's good. The foundation is, you do the knowledge. You actually flesh it out.
0: Now. Okay so you need to do the incarnation, you need to do the attributes of god you, you yeah, you need to do god 's omnipotence, you need to do god 's sovereignty, you need to do the virgin birth, you need to do the resurrection. you get my point Many of you in this room know that the new testament the New Testament
3: was written primarily in the Greek language. There's some Aramaic, but it's primarily the ancient Greek language. And
0: the Greek There's no Aramaic in the New Testament. There's Aramaic in the Old. Greek language was very flowery.
3: Lots of words for our single word in English. In fact, there were four or five words for love and we just have love. I love ice cream, love my wife, love, they, they had many words. Their word for knowledge is very insightful. In fact, it might inform us today on
0: well, what we need to do. Watch what he does here. This is such a flimsy argument that you blow on it and the whole thing comes apart. But hang on.
3: They had two words for knowledge, where well, we just say the word in English, knowledge, that explain exactly what I'm talking to you about. I want to put them on the screens. The first word for knowledge is the word gnosko. In fact, it's where we've got a word gnostic or gnosticism. Ever heard of that? Where knowledge is king. Gnosko simply means to be informed to become acquainted with. And it results in an informed person, someone who has information.
0: Now this sounds like, oh, he's teaching us the Greek. He's not. The second word for
3: knowledge is the word oida. It's transliterated into English, oida. And it means to fully perceive and understand through experience. And it results in wisdom. I guess my big question is, are you a person full of information or full of wisdom? Do you apply the knowledge to your
0: life and it fleshes out and people now seek you out because... Now, that, that sounds like a biblical teaching, right? I mean, he taught us the Greek, didn't he? No, he didn't. Okay. Um, let's just take a look at the Greek here. Let's take a look. Okay. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Is the Greek word there in verse 4, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, is that oida or ginosko? Answer, ginosko, okay? Colossians 1, 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Okay. There in Colossians 1, verse 9, where it says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Is that gnosko or is it oida? Answer, gnosko. Philippians 1, 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. There in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Is the word knowledge oida or is it gnosko? Answer, it's gnosko. <clears throat> second corinthians chapter eight verse seven but as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also second corinthians chapter eight verse seven is the word for knowledge there oida or is it you know, well it's 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 not gnosko, it's no it's no sis it's you know which gnosko is a is a derivative of so it's well it's not oida it's gnosko. You get what I'm saying? I would point out other passages. Let me read some more. All of these are, well, gnosko, not oida. But thanks be to God. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Is the fragrance of the knowledge of God, is that in 2 Corinthians two fourteen? is that oida or gnosko? Answer, it's gnosko. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Notice the wisdom and knowledge of God. Is the knowledge of God there oida or is it gnosco? It's gnosco. Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Gnosco. You get what I'm saying here? So here this guy is basically pulling a fast one. Saying, look at in the Greek language. See if what he was saying was true, and that somehow that's the the, the major import of the of the difference between those words. Then why did God the Holy Spirit use choose to use gnosko in talking about the, the, all the knowledge that God wants you to have, rather than oida? Hmm. Yeah this this guy is basically perpetrating a spiritual crime, and that is not an overstatement.
3: ...because you seem to have an intuitive sense about how to live your life. Oida and Gnosko are the two words for knowledge. Can I say the obvious now? Our world is full of Gnosko, not so much Oida.
0: And the funny thing is, is all those verses that I read praise Gnosko, and they never use the word Oida. Weird, huh?
3: Am I right? Oh, my goodness, is Oida rare? And that's what I'm talking about. Authentic maturity is Oida. Artificial maturity is just a whole lot of Gnosko.
0: Yes, you don't want to be artificial in your in your maturity. That means you you you, it's just a bunch of information, Bible information. Who wants that? You want you want Oida. I got a lot up here between my ears. Now let me illustrate very briefly.
3: Um, I think I've mentioned before that I'm a nut about baseball. I love sports in general. But um, about 25 or so years ago, I had a very good friend named Just a reminder: this story is not found in the Bible. Jeff Robinson. Jeff Robinson played baseball in high school and college, and then he was good enough to be drafted into the pros. And many of you know his name because he got drafted and ended up playing for the Detroit Tigers during the late 80s and early 90s. And because we were buds, Jeff would often, when he was pitching, invite me out to stay with him in his condo here in Detroit, and then I would go to the ballpark with him early on, watch him warm up, and then pitch. And it was so much fun. I was like a little kid. Well, one day we'd go out to the ballpark, and Jeff's warming up in the bullpen, and I'm just leading on the on the fence and I'm just enjoying life, it's awesome. Well, as I'm watching my friend warm up in the bullpen, this other fan, whom neither one of us know, stands up about 15 feet away from me and starts yelling at Jeff Robinson. He wants a baseball, he wants an autographed baseball. Hey Robinson, throw me a baseball. Well, just stopped paying any attention to him, he's warming up in the bullpen before a big game. But this guy keeps incessantly yelling out his name and then he decides he's gonna impress Jeff well, all the stats he knows about him. So he starts rattling off his one-loss record from the last year, his ERA, strikeouts, base on balls. He, he rattles it off as if to talk Jeff into, well, this guy must know me. I'm going to give him a baseball. Well, he goes on for 15 minutes. I'm getting annoyed. I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but I'm just wanting to say, just be quiet and watch the guy pitch. But in any case, after about 15 minutes, Jeff gets done warming up. And it was at that point he reached into a bucket, pulls out a baseball, grabs a sharpie pen and walks over our way. I'm certain this other guy thought, okay, I win. He caved. He's gonna sign a baseball and give it to me now. Little did he know what was about to happen. Jeff walks over, stands in between both of us about evenly. He signs the baseball, smiles at this guy and hands the ball to me. (laughs) I took a bow and walked away. It was awesome. It was just awesome. Now. What happened in that moment? I know exactly what happened. I can explain it with two words. That guy had a lot of ganosko about Jeff Robinson. Knew all the
0: stats. I knew Jeff Robinson with Oida. I'd experienced Jeff Robinson. Notice how the New Testament uses these terms, doesn't agree with his use of them. It's odd that he's not pointing out all the passages of Scripture where Oida is praised over ganosko.
3: All I'm simply saying today is, that's what's valuable. That's not the counterfeit. That's the real deal. And even now, can I just ask you a question? Do you have a lot of gnosko about God, or do you oida God? You've experienced Him. You have a living, growing, vital relationship with Him that... Apparently, you can have that apart from the Word of God. Pay attention. ...causes you to go deeper with every day, and life becomes an adventure, pardon the old-fashioned word, a thrill, because you walk with Him, run with Him daily experiencing the real without any gnosko getting in the way the thing or is it just i know a lot of bible verses
0: yeah that's bad you don't want to know a lot of bible verses no you want to have a deep relationship with god you do that without bible verses
3: i'll tell you i think the marks of true maturity are behavior in orientation orientation In fact, very quickly, before I kind of wrap things up and give you a step...
0: Yeah, read the Ten Commandments and be honest. How's your behavior holding up?
3: ...step of application. Let me just give you what I consider to be the marks of maturity, authentic maturity.
0: What I believe.
3: There's probably 700. I'm going to give you seven very quickly. Here they are. Mark maturity number one. We are able to make and keep long-term
0: commitments... Uh, Why is it that your list somehow determines what spiritual maturity is rather than what the Bible teaches, hmm?
3: The will inside of us is robust enough that we can make a commitment and keep a long-term commitment. When the glitz and glamour gone is gone, we're still there. By the way, when you see, by the way, can I make this obvious?
0: And apparently having Bible knowledge gets in the way of this.
3: When you see a kid able to make a long commitment, don't you say, hmm, that kid's mature. Don't you think that? It's a mark of maturity. Number two, they are unshaken by either flattery or criticism. In other words, when flattery or...
0: Where is this taught? Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was going to ask, where is this taught in the Bible? But see, that's the thing. Bible knowledge would get in the way of you maturing in this way. Duh. Sorry.
3: Great remarks come, or criticism and horrible remarks come their way. They weigh them out, they take them in, but they're, they're not shaken by either one. They're not moved by either one. They can consume what's, what's worthwhile, make any adjustments, but they're still steadily moving forward in their life. That's a mark of maturity. I think an immature person is thrown by the other two.
0: I think. So, see, what he thinks, all, notice all this information he's giving us. This is information that's not in the Bible, so it's okay. Um... But of all these marks of maturity, right? Yeah, that's the thing. You, basically, he gave us—he tried to use the Bible to prove that we don't need the Bible. So now he's gotten rid of the Bible so he can tell us what he wants to teach us, not what the Bible teaches. Because that would—well, you don't want to be caught up with all that Bible knowledge. You'd—you'd you'd be immature. You'd be arrogant. You'd—you know—it you, would stunt your growth. It would cause you to have, you know, pimples or things like that. Here's
3: another one, number three: humility. I think a mark of maturity is someone, young or old, that would say, I see a bigger picture, way bigger than me, and my life isn't about me, it's about something much larger, and I play a role, but I am humble enough to admit it and to acknowledge it, and I see people far wiser than me, far more gifted than me, and I'm good with that, I'm humble about it. I can praise other people, I can affirm other people. That's a mark of maturity, especially when I see it in a young person. i work with my, my own kids on this for 20 years now, that's part of maturity. Number three, their decisions are based upon character, not feelings. The whims of any given day don't sway them, but they're making their decisions based on principles that they buy into and character. And the foundation is strong because they're making them off those principles. And it's not this, who knows what might happen the next day based on their decisions. Next one, gratitude. I believe a true mark of an authentically mature person is they're extremely grateful people. They're not in denial. Some bad things have happened, but they choose to focus on the good things that have happened in their life.
0: Yeah, and the Bi- Bible knowledge will get in the way of you becoming you know, somebody who has gratitude, for sure.
3: The, the blessings that God's brought and that other people brought into their life, and they're just they're good with that, and they've chosen to be grateful people. I think grateful people are mature people, by and large. Next one. They prioritize others and others' agenda before their own.
0: Right. And if you, you want to learn how to really prioritize people's agendas before your own, yeah, you, you, you got to get rid of all that Bible knowledge. The Bible will get in the way. And I'm not
3: suggesting they're codependent or they're just wimps or doormats, but their lives aren't just about their own agenda, but they've just chosen to, to focus on the lives of others and to be able to serve other people gratefully, liberally, generously because of that. And then finally, Mark number seven. They seek wisdom from God and from other wise counsel.
0: Yeah, but they don't do it in the Bible because Bible information gets in the way of good, wise counsel. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got to get rid of the Bible. In decision-making time.
3: They think it's pretty arrogant to think that they would have all the answers, and so they're clearly and openly seeking wisdom from God. Connect- right, but not in his word connection from God, their maker, and then from others who are wise, who know God well, who know them well,
0: before they make big decisions. Yeah, but they don't go to the Bible to find out what God says there.
3: I simply think those are are a list of marks that make up a mature person. So here's the application today. Let's, Let's boil it down to what will we do with all this information I've just
0: given you. Yeah, a lot of information for a sermon that says that information keeps you from being obedient.
3: Number one. I kind of posed it to you just a second ago, but let me really drill down now. As you sit here listening to me today, has something come across your mind that you thought, I knew I should have done something about that years ago, maybe, months ago, weeks ago, whatever. And yet you've chosen to keep getting advice, getting more information, but yet you've been paralyzed. You've not done anything about it. And you know that right now, maybe the Spirit of God is poking you and saying, you need to do something about that. You don't need to learn any more. You know enough. Go do it. What is it in your life that you know you need to do that? I won't go long on this, but kind of give you a real quick snippet of what can happen?
0: Yeah, just—I mean, just see if you can figure it out by tea leaves or something in the air. Don't go to God's Word in the Bible to instruct you on what you should be doing, but just what do you feel in your heart that you should be doing?
3: you can have some of the most amazing breakthroughs with one simple step of obedience. One act, simple act, small act, can turn everything around. I remember um, years ago when I was pastoring in San Diego, um, at the end of the service there was a song we sang and I just invited people that wanted to, to come forward and just pray up front. Just kind of kneel down and do business with God. One woman came forward named Ruth, I knew Ruth, she was a friend. But she came down to pray immediately, and I knew something was up. So I kind of walked around the front, and I knelt down next to her, and I said, Ruth, what's going on? And she looked up at me with tears in her her eyes, and she said, Tim, I've been diagnosed with a tumor, and it's pretty large. And she said, I'm not sure if it's malignant or benign, but it's a tumor, and I'm scared to death. And I said, Ruth, let's pray together. And so we both bowed, and we prayed right then and there. And while I was praying, something happened to me. I wish I could tell you it happened all the time. It doesn't. But on that particular instance, God gave me a word. In fact, the word was letter, L-E-T-T-E-R, letter, like a letter you mail.
0: So now he's getting direct revelation from God. We, We don't even need God's word anymore. See how not having God's word has set him free to hear directly from God now? Wow.
3: And so when I got done praying, I said, Ruth, can I say something to you? I said, this is going to sound really random. And in fact, it may make no sense at all to you. But does the word letter mean anything to you? She immediately said, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't, know what, I, I don't know what you mean. I said, well, I know we're praying about your tumor, but I feel like God just told me the word letter. You you're sure it means nothing, nothing at all. A letter you need to send, a letter that was sent to you, anything. And she paused for a minute, and then she said, oh, oh, oh. And after the third oh, she looked up at me, she said... I actually have a letter in my purse. I wonder if that's it." I said, well, what is the letter? She said, well, it's been there for three years. I said, that might be it. What is it? (laughs) And she said, well, I have not spoken to my sister for three years. They're grown women, but they've not talked. They had a spat at a Christmas celebration and they've not talked for three years. She said about three years ago, right after it happened, I wrote her a letter just seeking her forgiveness. And saying, life's too short to not make this right. I want to make it right. But she said, my sister did another really stupid thing right after I wrote that letter. And so I just tucked it in my purse and they didn't mail it. She said, do you think maybe i was supposed to mail it? And I said, Ruth, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I'm going to suggest as your friend, you mail that letter. I said, minimally, it's going to help, at least help, your relationship with your sister. Well, Ruth sent that letter off. And listen to me. Not only did it completely mend... Her relationship with her sister. I think both of them were just waiting for the first person to take a step. It mended her relationship with her sister. But the next time I saw Ruth, which was two weeks later, Ruth came up to me and she said, Tim, I saw the doctors. My tumor has evaporated. It's gone. They can't find it. And there was no other explanation. They didn't do any testing. They didn't do any medication. They didn't do anything. Except that she took a simple act of obedience to God.
0: So her obedience saved her. Wow! So you don't need the Bible, and you just need to obey direct revelation. I'm and if that—if ha- you, I mean, if you obey, then well, you know, tumors will disappear.
3: Mailing a letter. Is there anything that you should have done, need to do, that you just have put off and gotten busy with more information?
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Like you know, maybe you know, I'd like to bring the Ten Commandments to bear here because the Ten Commandments tell us all the things we should and shouldn't be doing. How are you holding up on that? Oh, wait, sorry. That's information from the Bible. Yeah, that gets in the way of obedience, doesn't it? Secondly, we have people every week that are here
3: that would say if they were honest, I've never taken that first step of action, that first action step to say yes to Jesus Christ. I know a lot about church. I know a lot about the Bible. but
0: I've So now salvation is something you earn by you doing. Mm-hmm. I told you he didn't believe in the doctrine of original sin. Salvation is something you earn by your actions, by your obedience, by you taking that first simple step. This is salvation by works, not salvation by grace.
3: I've never stepped over the line of faith and said, Jesus, come into my life and take over my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I want to know you. And I want to know that if I died tonight, God forbid, I would go to heaven. You know, the scripture says you can know that. But you know what it requires? Not more ganosko. It requires oida. You don't need to know more about God. He wants you to experience him. And you start by simply saying a prayer where you, honestly, you invite him to come in and say, God, I want to belong to you, and I want you to belong to
0: me. Can you show me that in the scripture, please? If that's you today. Sorry, sorry. I keep forgetting. You can't go to the scripture because that's bad. That gets in the way of your spiritual maturity. Yeah,
3: in just a minute, I'm going to pray. In fact, I'm going to pray phrase by phrase a simple prayer that I prayed years ago when I first said yes to God. And if it expresses the desire of your heart today, I want you to pray it with me, just right where you're seated, just you and God. And uh, I'd like you to begin this journey and experience the adventure I'm talking about. Do you realize this is the key? This is the key to maturation. This is the key to turning artificial maturity into authentic maturity. Uh, Just suppose for a
0: minute. So the key is to get rid of the scriptures and just have oida, not gnosko. Just suppose something. Suppose that...
3: um, that you worked for me. I know that would be a stretch of your imagination, but let's just say you're one of my employees.
0: Then I would be submitting my resignation immediately.
3: And I tell you one day, I'm gonna put you in charge of the office. I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. I'm gonna be overseas. But don't worry, I know you don't feel ready, but I'm gonna write you an email every day and give you instructions, give you encouragement. You're gonna be fine. So you go, okay, go. I take off. I'm gone for two weeks, but every day, just like I promised, I email you. When I return home, I'm so excited to see you and the team, but I'm, I'm flabbergasted when I walk into the office and I realize the shrubs are overgrown. The grass has grown tall. I walk inside. There's trash everywhere. I look at the workload. Nothing has been done. I finally find you in the back room with all the team members, just sitting around, just having a good time, sitting around.
0: And I would say, well, yeah, what do you expect? You sent me a bunch of information. I, you know, I didn't want that information to get in the way of my OIDA.
3: I'm thinking, what are you doing back here? Oh, Tim, welcome back, Glad. To- how was your trip? How was your trip? It was great, but what happened here? Well, <laughs> we have kept everything safe. We really have. It's been great. But, but, but wait, I say, wait, 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 wait. Did you not get my instructions every day? Did you not get my emails? Oh, we got the emails. We love your emails. In fact, we love them so much, every Tuesday we had an email study. Yes, we did, an email study, and we studied the paragraphs. In fact, some of them memorized sentences of your emails. They were awesome. Kenny says he get goosebumps every time he reads your emails. It's amazing. And I say, but did you do anything about them? Do something. We didn't know you wanted to do anything with them. Yes, that's what I wanted. And that's what I wonder if God's saying to us lovingly as our Heavenly Father. Would you please go try it out? Let's pray.
0: John chapter six, verse twenty-eight. They said to Jesus, "What must we do to be doing the works of God?" Jesus answered them, "This is the work of God, ton ergon singular, that you believe in the Him whom He has sent." This guy preached a different gospel. And preached, had the audacity to try to use God's word to prove that what we really need is not more of God's word, but something else. It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. This, like I said, is the epitome of the seeker-driven attack against sound doctrine. And this is, I mean, this is a, you can sum this sermon up as deeds, not creeds. And he doesn't even see the folly and the irony of his self defeating propositions. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And yet the scriptures tell us that all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, training, and rebuking, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. You go ahead and try, try to obey God without knowing what it is that. He wants, because you don't want all that gnosko getting in the way of your oida. Just absolutely, patently absurd and satanic. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.